Hey everybody and welcome into episode 25 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller. Appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Happy Thursday night. Got a little bit of Thursday night football going on right now. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they are up 3-0 in the first quarter. First time ever on Jake's Take, have a very, very special guest, great friend of mine, Jason Boone. Welcome to the show, buddy. How you doing? Very good, Jake. Thanks for ah, having me on. Absolutely, man. It's, it's been a long time coming, man. You know, you, you were so... You're so smart, everything that you know about <laughs> football and, of course, the betting side of it, too. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know if I'm really all that always, smart. Maybe always, lucky. But <laughs> I know you've gone through a little bit of a black cloud lately. But yeah, <laughs> let's, uh, let's not talk about that. The Kansas City Chiefs kryptonite. <laughs> oh. But um, big, big weekend, obviously. Andy Reid loves me because I, <laughs> I always pick against them and... Uh, and they end up winning and uh, he's happy and he has his cheeseburgers afterwards and... <laughs> Well, while we're talking about Andy Reid, everybody knows that I'm a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan. You, you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Obviously, Eagles fly. This is a big, big weekend for this area and this state. Pittsburgh Steelers, Philadelphia Eagles, 1 o'clock on Fox this Sunday, Heinz Field. Finally, some fans allowed too. So real quick, how long have you been an Eagles fan for? Pretty much my entire life. Um, you know, I grew up in an Eagles household. My dad mm-hmm. was always a big uh, Eagles fan. You know, what's interesting, and Jake, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but mm-hmm. my mom is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Oh, yeah, so I it's a, it's, that. it's a house divided. Um, <laughs> but I took my dad's side with the Eagles, and, um, you know, when I was, when I really knew what a first down was, that's when uh, Randall Cunningham was the quarterback for the Eagles. Uh, so they had some good years there with him and, uh, you know, then you had some down years. You had mm-hmm. Bubby Brister who, you know, he's been everywhere and <laughs> Rodney Pete, uh, Pete, you know, some of those yeah. Doug Peterson, when he was a quarterback, mm-hmm. he, he played the there early Andy Reid days, the early <laughs> Andy Reid days. And then, then they drafted Donovan McNabb. So they, they, <laughs> yeah. Because they wanted, they wanted Ricky Williams. Yeah. They wanted Ricky Williams. So they they were very unhappy with the McNabb pick, and that ended up being a great decade of football in Philly. Sure did. Uh, lots of uh, success. No Super Bowl, but they were very competitive for about a decade there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, McNabb kind of, you know, lost his, uh, you know, eliteness. And so, of course, he wore out his welcome in the Philly. Injuries piled up. Injuries piled up. And then... Uh, then they went into a few dark years, and then Vic, they were okay there for a little while with Michael Vic. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they stumbled into a championship uh, a couple <laughs> years ago. When everybody complained about Doug Peterson being hired as head coach. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. They, uh, I can't think of his name, the guy that the Giants hired. Back in 2016. Back in 2016. Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo. Yeah. Everybody wanted Ben McAdoo mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, and they were they were fuming that they hired Doug Peterson over Ben McAdoo, mm-hmm. uh, and that ended up being a great move. Oh, phenomenal move. I mean, really, when you think of it, how the Giants, they made the wild card round, and then the very next year, going 3-13, and Ben McAdoo <clears throat> not even making it through the entire season. That that just blows my mind. And Eli Manning having his consecutive start streak come to an end. Sure enough, he gets fired. And then the very next week against the Cowboys, he's back in the lineup. How crappy is that? Seriously. Yeah, that was that was. I mean, that broke his streak. Exactly. His starting streak because I mean he, 
you know, had an amazing career where he never got injured, at never. least injured to the point where he had to miss time. Exactly. He's, he, was, he was as durable as they come, which you would, you would never think a guy like him would be that durable, but there he was. Yeah. He, and, and, I mean, it's not like he didn't take hits. He, he got sacked a lot. He got sacked a lot, especially his last couple of years with the Giants. And that, the very first preseason game at MetLife, he got rocked against the Jets. And that's the thing. I mean, it was preseason, so it didn't really matter missing those games. But, yeah, terrible way to have your, your streak come to an end. But while you were on your way down here, man, there was so much that happened in the NFL. I'll tell you, like we've been talking about, the Tennessee Titans, man, they are in hot water. A big like time. NFL. Big time. And my good friend, Sean Rosansky, <laughs> Sean Rosansky, he tweeted earlier in the day that Mike Florio was on a radio station in Nashville and said that the head coach Mike Vrabel, GM John Robinson, they could be suspended the rest of the year, a $10 million fine, wow. possible loss of a first-round draft pick, <clears throat> and to top it all off, for the first time in NFL history – we could have an NFL game forfeited. That's that's very unprecedented, but you know, yeah. given the circumstances and given, you know, they had strict protocol in place mm -hmm. with the pandemic and everything going on. Um now I I don't know the full story, but I know they allegedly had mm -hmm. workouts when they weren't supposed to have workouts the after, after the, after the outbreak. They, yeah. they they closed down the facility and then they apparently still went on and had workouts. Mm -hmm. Now, were they workouts amongst the players or was the coach involved with them? Do you know those that's, details? I mean, that's the thing. Ryan Tannehill was spotted there. I'm, I had to imagine that Vrabel was there. And the NFL office, they caught wind of it and they sent it out to all the other teams on Monday. And obviously, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, Eric Ebron, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they are pissed about having to have their bye week Week four, you know, Ben said, you know, we got the short end of the stick. And right. Eric Ebron, he's been the one that's been the most outspoken about it because, you know, they were supposed to have their bye week eight. Now, you know, the game with the Baltimore Ravens, that's been moved to, to week eight, obviously, with the way that their buys were. But Eric Ebron said now he has to miss out on his son's birthday party because of all of this rescheduling. And, and 23 members of the Tennessee Titans have tested positive. So what I was about to say was the Buffalo Bills and Tennessee Titans, as long as there are no more positive tests, that game has been moved to 6.30 on Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Tuesday night. And the last Tuesday night game was you guys and Minnesota Vikings, 2010, when that blizzard came to Philly around Christmas. <laughs> I, I barely remember that, even though it was only 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But I, <laughs> I, I truly forgot that they had a Tuesday game. Yeah, and one of Brett Favre's last games before he hung it up. I mean, he wasn't out there because of his concussion, but not very many Tuesday games. Also, Denver Broncos, New England Patriots, that has been postponed to Monday, a 5.05 kickoff on CBS. Now, that is official. The one thing with the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans, if, like I said, this all is pending on if there are more positive tests. And their Thursday night game, Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, next week, October 15th, that would be moved to Sunday, October 18th. So, like I said, all of this is depending on the Tennessee Titans. It's a very chaotic uh, situation. <laughs> very, very, chaotic. Un very unprecedented. <laughs> um, the news changes by the day. It really does. By the hour, it seems. Um, I mean, in, re in regards to, you know, the uh, 
other players and teams getting getting upset. I mean, on one hand, there's, I mean, we're in, we're in, in a pandemic. There's mm-hmm. not a whole lot that you can do. But if you're violating protocol that's put in place to keep everybody safe, and you got people that, you know, in the Titans case that, you know, the facility is closed down and they're sneaking in practices and yeah. workouts while you know that players are testing positive each and every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not good. So I, I have to say I would agree with the hammer being dropped on them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's unfortunate. And I say that as someone who has Tennessee Titan players on my football yeah. teams, but you have to drop the hammer on them. Exactly. And you had just traded for Derrick Henry. I did. Days li- literally the day before the outbreak started that – Players started testing positive the night before I traded for Derrick Henry in, in one of my fantasy football mm. leagues. <laughs> now, as far as the New England Patriots go, you were the one to tell me on Saturday morning about Cam Newton testing positive for COVID-19. <clears throat> now, just a couple days after their game was moved to Monday night against the Kansas City Chiefs, Stephon Gilmore, reigning Defensive Player of the Year, he tested positive for COVID-19. And, like you were talking about, he was the first one to walk up to Patrick Mahomes after that game was over on that, Monday night. That, that's a photo that's gone viral now yep. because he's he's literally shaking his hand. They're face-to-face, mm-hmm. obviously not uh, socially distanced. No, not so, so, I mean, that's – and that's big because you got to keep in mind, you know, not only is Patrick Mahomes – um, you know, one of the biggest stars in the NFL. But more important than that, Patrick Mahomes, his fiance is pregnant. Exactly. So Patrick Mahomes is going home to her every single night after being in close contact with mm-hmm. somebody who tested positive for uh, the virus. That's a very scary situation. Very, very scary situation. It's <laughs> unprecedented for sure. And this has just been a, a crazy Week all the way around Monday, Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans parting ways. And it sounds like J.J. Watt, just a couple days before the Steelers game, it sounds like he got into a little bit of an argument with Bill O'Brien, and that was sort of the beginning of the end. And Romeo Cornell, interim head coach, once again, and it's like you and I talked about last weekend, it just seems like Belichick protégés, they just don't cut it as head coaches. No, they they uh, really don't have much success on their own. Um, Charlie Weiss uh, mm-hmm. was a Bill Belichick uh, coaching staff member. He went to Notre Dame mm-hmm. to lead a, a football team there, and they had very disappointing results. Um, Bill O'Brien did have. I want to say I want to give him credit because he did have success at Penn State, given all of the mm-hmm. stuff the that happened at Penn State. They were heavily yeah. restricted, and after the whole Paterno Sandusky yeah. uh, fiasco that happened there, Bill O'Brien did do a pretty good job um, with a very limited uh, roster with Penn State yeah. because they were very limited on scholarships and the postseason ban. Mm-hmm. They were somewhat competitive with O'Brien. So uh, he he did pretty good at Penn State, um, but he, really for the most part, in his teams in Houston have kind of disappointed. They've always yeah. f- uh, fallen short. I mean, they've made the playoffs, but they've had a star-studded team. Exactly. Uh, and they couldn't um, do anything with it in the postseason, 
And this year, they uh, well, he's made some trade the bad the trades a with boneheaded uh, trade getting rid of Hopkins for mm-hmm. an aging David Johnson. Yeah. Um, that was not a very smart move there. Uh, dr- multiple draft picks that you don't even have now that the Dolphins have. That's yeah, very that good. Yeah. That's very good for the future of uh, Kotz's team because <laughs> yeah. they're a very good up and coming uh, team. The Dolphins, maybe not you know this particular season, but. If Tua uh, turns out to be a good quarterback, there's a lot of future assets that they have to build up that Miami Dolphins roster. And I think in a couple of years, you could very well see the Miami Dolphins uh, in the playoffs and making some noise there. Yeah, especially AFC East it is wide open now. Now that Tom Brady is with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it's not wide it, open. Yeah, it's not okay. It's not, it's wide, not wide, open. wide open. I want to rephrase that real quick. <laughs> you. Have been the biggest, well, but you know what I mean. Finally, after all these years, it's no longer a cupcake for the Patriots, that division. No. But you have been the biggest advocate, as you like to call Joshua MVP Allen. Yes. He actually, through four games, has better numbers than Patrick Mahomes did in 2018 when he was league MVP. That I did not realize. Yeah, I didn't, dude, I didn't realize that until earlier today. More touchdowns, more yards, less interceptions, and 4-0 on the season. And that's real quick, that's another thing too. Kansas City, the first team ever in NFL history to start 4-0 four consecutive seasons. I, I couldn't wrap my head around that when, when Jim Nance said that because think of all the dynasties that we've had, whether it was Green Bay, whether it was the Steelers, the 49ers, the Cowboys. And like Tony Romo said, all the years with, with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, you would think like every year starting 5-0, 6-0, 7-0 and everything. But Josh Allen, you know, I, I just, it amazes me, his arm and his mobility. And I mean, as soon as he got back into that game Sunday against the Raiders after he got hurt, that's what made the difference in the end. Absolutely. He's just been nothing short of impressive. And... You know, when it when it comes to, you know, picking an MVP, you know, what I like to go by is um, I try to find a long shot that mm-hmm. I think has a chance to make that next step. You know, we all know how good Russell Wilson is. We all know how good Patrick Mahomes is, Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I, there, there's other elite quarterbacks and players in the NFL. We all know how good they are. But... What I like to try and do is find, okay, who can take that next step? Who can be last year's Lamar Jackson? Who can be the 2018 Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes? So my guess for this particular year was Josh Allen. And a couple of reasons why is, you know, he's still relatively young. And when you're relatively young, there's a good chance that if you have the physical traits, which he does that you're only going to continue to improve. And not only that, but they have a solid team around him. And the fact that they added this year Stefan Diggs mm-hmm. to their roster, I figured you got a combination of youth and potential with, with Allen, and now you're adding a big-time weapon in Stefan Diggs. We all know how good he made Kirk Cousins look. And how bad Kirk Cousins looks right now. Yeah, so when you add a premier talent like Stefan Diggs, to me, that's what set the, the, the bells off in my mind that maybe if Josh Allen can put it all together, this could be the year for him. 
And so far, it's still very early in the year. But so far, you got to like what you're seeing out of this Buffalo Bills team. Oh, absolutely. To be 4-0. and And also, you look at their defense as well. I know their defense has been, been praised, but the, the offense has really, really picked it up. I would say these past two years with him, with John Brown, Devin Singletary, I know that They're not even fully us, healthy. Yeah, and I know that both of us, we were kind of hoping that they would have Zach Moss in, involved in the offense even more, one of, the, one of their rookie draft picks this year. He's been banged up. I think um, he's dealing with a toe injury, but he's a guy to watch out for for the second half of the year because if, if he can get healthy, um, I think they're, they're definitely not going to want to ride Singletary um, as a bell cow back mm-hmm. for the entire season. So... I look for them to kind of split the backfield work once he gets healthy. And I think the second half of the year, I think that's when Zach Moss is, you know, again, like I said, as long as he gets healthy, the second half of the year, I think you look to someone like him to step in and be a key contributor to that offense and give that offense an extra dimension. Because right now, they don't have that Frank Gore big back to get those tough yards on second and short, third and short, the goal line uh, situations. So if Zach Moss can come in and be that guy, that's really going to help that team really take off and be a very serious threat in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And speaking of Frank Gore and speaking of the AFC East, what the hell is going on with the New York Jets? Oh, boy. (laughs) So Frank Gore, last Thursday night against the Broncos, had 30 yards. Sam Darnold himself had 84 yards on on a bum shoulder yet. He's benched. Joe Flacco is going to start against the Cardinals on Sunday. And really, when, when you, me, and Cots, when we talked about it, we figured if, if there was one coach that was going to get fired during the season, we all felt like the first one was going to be Adam Gase. Absolutely. It's only a matter of time, though. Well, you know who I'm surprised. I mean, yeah, it's only a matter of time for, for him to get fired. But keep in mind, Adam Gase, he's very good friends with the general manager mm-hmm. who was with uh, – Douglas, uh, he was with yeah. he was with the Eagles. Um, he was basically Howie Roseman's right hand man mm-hmm. in Philadelphia the last couple of years. Um, but Joe Douglas's tenure so far with New York has not been off to a, a great start. So I think if they don't turn it around soon, you could possibly see Douglas and Gase on the hot seat. Yeah, that's a good possibility. And I know that you've been. Very critical and also very puzzled with uh, with Howie Roseman and I mean the Eagles themselves. I mean they're they they're pretty much in I guess you could say salary cap hell for twenty twenty one. You're talking about Alshon. You're talking about Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, Rodney McLeod, and of course the the tight end situation with, with Ertz and, and Goddard. I mean it, it's a mess. Yeah, um, like I said, I'm I try not to speculate too much. I'm just going off of my own opinion here, not any you know sources that mm-hmm. I'm reading anywhere, but. Given their salary cap situation, I find it extremely difficult that beyond 2021, I don't think they're going to be able to keep both Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. I think they're going to have to choose one of them. Which one they end up choosing, I'm not really sure who, who that is, but there's no way they're going to be able to pay both those guys big money. Yeah, no way. <clears throat> so... Obviously, I'm excited for Sunday. You're excited for Sunday. Definitely plan to get together for it at Riverside Cafe in Wilkes-Barre. And Sean Rosansky, you know, having to wait till till Tuesday at the moment. <laughs> I 
I mean, for, from now until then, you know, like I said, we might be witnessing the first ever forfeiture in NFL history, possibly. Yeah, that's that's a wild <clears throat> situation and crazy. Hopefully no more positive tests. Yeah, but so Because Monday and Tuesday, it was actually <clears throat> looking decent. Like, Monday was the first day in a week that the Titans didn't have a single positive test. And, I mean, for the total to be 24, like, I can't think of one team that, that's even close to that right now. Other teams have had a case mm-hmm. or two, but, you, but for the most the part, they're for the most part they've been practice squad guys, mm-hmm. and for the most part they're not with other members of the team. So they've been isolated cases where you're not ha- seeing a breakout happen. But again, that's why they have the protocols in place, and for the most part, it's working out for the rest of the league. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I like to do is obviously giving my picks every single Sunday. And then I love how you'll you'll write on the page right then and there, you'll give your picks and you'll put like little asterisks by them and you're like, these are the ones that I <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I mean we've we've had a few of them and one of my favorites was it was week it was week three. Oh boy. It was week three and you write on the page, I gave like all my picks and everything and you write Texans over Steelers, and then in parentheses, sorry, Jake. And then you wrote Vikings over Titans, and you wrote in parentheses, sorry, Mr. Rosansky. <laughs> well, I ended, up, I ended yeah. up being wrong on both those picks. Uh, <laughs> the Steelers and the Titans both. Now, it, both games, yeah. the other teams were winning. The teams I exactly. picked were winning, but then... Uh, right at the tail end, the Steelers won their game, the Titans won their game, mm-hmm. so uh, congratulations to both you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Andy right. Reid, I picked against you guys, yeah. and it ended up working out in your favors. And who would have imagined that at the beginning of that day that your game would end in a tie? Oh, I, I don't know where to go with that yeah. one. I'm, it, it's always, I, there's always at least one or two games where there's like it ends up being four or five these days, but there's yeah. there's always like one or two games a year where the Eagles have that type of game where it's they they play a team that they should have no problem beating, and they really even with their injuries, even with all the issues that they're having on that team, they should not have lost to the Bengals. No. And they well, I mean, they technically didn't lose, but they <laughs> tied. I mean. Yeah, and again, the last tie they had was against Cincinnati in two thousand eight, when Donovan McNabb said, "I didn't know the game could end at a tie." <laughs> and Phil Simms said, "I think Donovan McNabb's a future Hall of Famer." <laughs> Please. <laughs> so, gonna dive into some games here for Sunday. Now, for tonight, obviously, both of us we both picked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and obviously, that is looking. Fairly good right now, I will say. I, it looks like Evans has a touchdown catch just now. Yeah, yeah. so 10 no, ooh, ten nothing. Yeah, 10 nothing. <laughs> and the quarterback rematch of Super Bowl 52. So obviously this Sunday, got to start off with the big one for both of us. So Philadelphia Eagles, 1-2-1. One, and, one. And, and dude, I feel the same way. When a game ends in a, in a tie, to me, it, it feels like a loss. It really, really does. Unless you're the Cleveland Browns and you tie the Pittsburgh Steelers on opening day in 2018. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, 1-2-1, one, one, Pittsburgh Steelers 3-0 and coming off of bye. Heinz Field, 1 o'clock on Fox. You know, obviously, for me, I'm not saying it with my heart. I'm obviously saying it with my head. But obviously, I really, really love what I've seen so far this year. 
Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> what a God, it, it just feels so great to have him back with how pathetic of a play that was a quarterback last year with Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges. Duck Hodges. Duck Hodges, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, obviously James Conner, two 100-yard games back-to-back after the ankle injury week one. <clears throat> you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool being involved in the offense, Eric Ebron, and then, of course, on the other side of the ball, our pick for defensive or defensive player of the year, excuse me, TJ Watt. You have him. Absolutely. You have it. You have... You have Cam Hayward. You have Minka Fitzpatrick. Thank you, Eric Kotz, by the way. <laughs> so, but Miami is loaded up on picks. Like oh, they sure are. Yeah, yeah, but so, <laughs> so, you know, I look at this game, and I, I mean, man, you guys, <laughs> I can't even. I was going to say the amount of injuries on both sides of the ball. You know, just like the practice squad last year. I mean, Greg Ward being, you know, being the main receiver, the only healthy receiver. I mean, Miles Sanders is finally healthy. And you bring up a good point with Carson Wentz. It's probably the way that his regression has been ever since the, the torn ACL in 2017. You said more than anything that you think it's all mental. Yes. Um, I mean, confidence is a big part of playing any sport, really. Um, you know, there's an old adage that um, the game is 90, 90% mental, mm-hmm. only 10% physical. And Carson, we all know, and I think you would agree, has the physical traits. I mean, he's, he, he's shown that. He's had a lot of success in the league. There's been games where he has just been on another level, an elite level, where he's dominated. Um, before his injury in 2017, he was having an MVP caliber season in 2017. But since that injury happened... He just has not been the same. He's had a couple games where he's looked good. Now, the end of last year, I thought he did very well, given the fact that he had a lot of injuries last year. Greg Ward, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. was his number one receiver, and he won the last four games of the regular season to get them into the playoffs. So you would think he would have all the confidence in the world. Then he gets that concussion, and... So far this year, he started out, again, he's not very impressive. And he's missing um, throws that I think are easy to make. Um, you know, Doug Peterson would obviously disagree. You know, he, he, he thinks that, oh, if you haven't played in the NFL, there's no easy throws. <laughs> yeah. but, but, I mean, but the problem that I have with that is you're paying Carson Wentz elite quarterback money. And when you're paying somebody elite quarterback money – they are supposed to overcome deficiencies. Now, he was more impressive last week against um, 49ers. the 49ers. Uh, you know, he, he did do a better job with make the, de- the decision-making on his end against the 49ers. But you got to beat a team like the Bengals. You have to beat the Washington football mm-hmm. team. No offense to Dale Kivler, but... <laughs> I mean, they're they're just they're they're not that good of a team. No. <laughs> so when you're when you're somebody like Carson Wentz, you're getting paid elite quarterback money. Yes, you have deficiencies on the offensive line. Yes, you have deficiencies with your receiving core. And I think they didn't even have Miles Sanders against Washington. No, but they didn't. Even besi- even having said all of that, you're getting paid elite quarterback money. Those are the types of games 
that you're expected to win. And if you don't win those games and you're playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of chatter. There's going to be a lot of noise. There's going to be a lot of questions from, from the fan base and from the media. Mm-hmm. He does a really, really good Howard Eskin impersonation, by the way. <laughs> those are great. So, obviously, when I look at this on Sunday it has been 41 years since the Pittsburgh Steelers started a season 4-0. and And when that happened, sure enough, that was the last of the four Super Bowl championships in the 70s with the Steel Curtain Dynasty. I'm not going that far. I'm not going that far to say that they're going to win it all this year. But obviously, for me personally on Sunday, I'm taking Pittsburgh 26-21. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I really didn't analyze it down to a particular score mm-hmm. but uh, I do think the Steelers win easily I think the spread is I think Pittsburgh seven. is laying seven so I I do think they actually cover the spread I, I could actually see it being like maybe a 34 24 type mm-hmm. game um, you know I don't even know if Philly scores that much they may not even score 20 against that Pittsburgh defense to be honest with you I mean and again like how you said earlier um I'm trying to look at it not from my heart, but from, you know, mm-hmm. um, using reason here and trying to be neutral in my um, opinion here on this game. I just don't see any way how Philly can keep up with, with Pittsburgh. This is a totally different team than the 49ers. The 49ers were also a banged-up team with their backup quarterback. In fact, he got benched. Two backup quarterbacks. Yeah, he yeah. got benched. So they they had their third stringer in there. Um, you know, they made the Philly defense look elite, which that's tough to do because I'm not that impressed with their defense. So I think Pittsburgh is going to have an easy time on offense. They're going to carve up that defense. And I just don't see Carson Wentz and that um, decimated Eagles offense. I can't see them getting anything going against that Pittsburgh defense. Like you said, they have a vaunted defense. Uh, It's going to be very tough for them to put up points. Yeah. So speaking of Dale Kibler, speaking of the Washington football team, <laughs> they're one and three. He finally got his wish. Dwayne Haskins, like you said, not only was he benched, he got demoted to third string. Yeah, that was that was wild. <laughs> usually, when you you lose your starting job, usually you're still at least the the primary backup in case the the new guy gets gets uh, hurt. But they're they're. Mm. And, I mean, they just drafted him in the first round last, last year. year. He's only played four games this year, and you're benching him already. You're already pulling the plug on the Haskins experiment. It's, it's going to be very tough to go back to him now. And not only do you bench him, but you're letting Alex Smith, who, you know, God bless him, he's mm-hmm. coming off that horrific, horrific injury you're you're giving him number two duties over Haskins. That's what I'm afraid of more than anything because, you know, Kyle Allen, he was with the Carolina Panthers last year, obviously before Ron Rivera got fired and obviously took over once Cam Newton was put on, on IR for the season. But that's the thing. It has been almost two years. And it's like I told you the other day, that Project 11 documentary on ESPN, I watched most of it. But when they got to the part where they showed his leg and how it was all cut up and you could see the bone and everything, I had to shut it right the hell off. Like, see, I can't was, watch stuff like that. I was, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, no. I was squeamish right then and there. And it's like I said, is it, is it really worth it when you're 36 years old, you have a beautiful wife, you know, several children, 
you took the 49ers, almost took the 49ers to the Super Bowl, you know, and obviously probably would have taken them. I mean, well, we all know the Colin Kaepernick situation. But you get traded to Kansas City. You help them become relevant again. Yeah. And the thing with Alex Smith is I look at him, and the one word that comes to mind is class. You know, he handled being benched in favor of Colin Kaepernick. He handled it with class. You know, obviously Patrick Mahomes, he wasn't he wasn't mad about it. He took him under his wing. He taught him he taught him pretty well, obviously. And even when he went to Washington, he has been a class act all the way around. I just like I said, I just don't know if it's worth it. Now, the Washington football team, I, I still have a hard time saying that. <laughs> I do too. I'm not I'm not politically correct at all, but a little bit of irony, they are hosting the 3-1 Los Angeles Rams, and we all know who was on that coaching staff back in 2012 with the Shanahans. That would be one Sean McVay. So this is one of the easier games to pick. Obviously, I have to go with the Rams on this one. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely go with the Rams. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, they did struggle last week with the New York Giants for a little while. That that should have been a cakewalk. Exactly. And that, that wasn't a cakewalk for a while there. I mean, so I don't know. I, I just don't see how Washington can win this game. I think it's the Rams all the way. Oh, yeah. And speaking of the Rams game last week, oh, baby. After that game was over, oh, my God. I didn't know that Jerry Springer was going to happen after the game was over. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're... Uh... Okay, so Jalen Ramsey and Golden Tate, they got, oh, into, yeah, yeah, they yeah, got yeah. into a fight after the game was over. Okay, yeah. And allegedly, I guess allegedly, Golden Tate's sister was dating Jalen Ramsey, and they were supposed to have a kid together, and he left her while she was pregnant. And all hell broke loose after the game was over. Punches Jerry, were through. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> I actually got to see him at the Kirby five years ago. Me and Jill went. He was hosting an, an episode of um, The Price is Right. <laughs> and so, so Jerry Springer at the end of the show, he says, he's like, like I always say, until next time, take care of yourself and each other. And I just hope that nobody in this audience ends up on my show. <laughs> so, so Jerry Springer was hosting the Price is right. right at the Kirby Center. At the Kirby yeah. Center. <laughs> yep, that was Jill's birthday present. Because <laughs> her and I, we used to watch Jerry Springer all the time when we were kids. That is so Wilkes-Barre. <laughs> That was so NEPA for that. NEPA, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh yeah, like so. Real, real quick story. So we would come home from school, and we would come home from school, and we would sneak upstairs, and we would put Jerry Springer, on. and our our grandmother would be babysitting us. And of course, you know, we weren't smart enough. We would have the volume up as loud as possible, and our grandma would be downstairs, and she would hear every every bleep there was. And she yelled up one day, and she's she's like, what are you kids watching? And Jill says, oh, we're watching Blue's Clues. <laughs> and... And my grandma was like, she's like, no, you're not. She's like, she's like, I can tell that you're watching that damn Jerry Springer. <laughs> oh, so, a massive difference there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so I definitely have to share that story. But, uh... So, we were talking about the 0-4 New York Jets. 
hosting the 2-2 two two Arizona Cardinals. Here's the thing, like the Cardinals, you know, they got off to an amazing start. I mean, they beat the 49ers in Santa Clara. They beat Washington, but they've lost these last two games. They lost to Carolina 31-21. to You know, and like I said, I mean, the, the Jets, where do you even start there? You know, this is like 1995 Jets, it seems like. Yeah, and um, now keep in mind, they're, they're benching Sam Darnold. Yeah. This week, he's for, out for Joe Flacco. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is an interesting game. I don't know how they're going to respond uh, to Flacco. I mean, will that offense, you know, have any kind of life with Flacco? I mean, you know, he hasn't he hasn't been what he was with no. Baltimore. I mean, he was in Denver there for a while and didn't really get anything going there. So I can't imagine, you know, him giving any kind of spark to that Jets offense. Yeah, me neither. Um, I got to go with Arizona. I think Arizona's the pick here as mm-hmm. well. So, talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. And talking about um, Kyle Williams, his favorite team, the Las Vegas Raiders. I still have a hard time with that. I, I do too. But, <laughs> You're so used you know, to saying he, Oakland. He said, he said it, it will always be the Oakland Raiders to him. But Derek Carr, this has been a house of horrors for him as Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. He this is his 7th NFL season. He's gone there 6 times. He has lost all 6 times. He has thrown multiple interceptions, hardly any touchdowns whatsoever. Now, you said the thing with with Patrick Mahomes is they're 4 and 0, oh, but New England kept him in check the the first half of that game on Monday night. And then really the last two Monday night games, that and Baltimore, he kind of got off to a bit of a slow start when you think of it. Yeah, and not only not only with those two games, but let's the not Houston forget game. the Chargers were uh, giving him fits, mm-hmm. and the Chargers almost beat them. They had a double digit lead in that game, seventeen to seven at one point. Yeah, and Herbert looked really good in that game for the Chargers. I mean, he's a very good quarterback. We'll get to him later. Yeah, but uh, the point is, Kansas City has not totally been all that impressive in their wins. I mean, they're 4-0, they're the defending champs, so, mm-hmm. you know, how can you say that? But um, I say that because they do look a little bit vulnerable to me. Mm-hmm. Defense, especially. Especially on defense, yes. The only one that has really stood out, the only two that stand out to me on their defense, A, Chris Jones, and B, Tyron Matthew. And Tyron Matthew, I mean, when you're having to go up against Brian Hoyer and then Jared Stidham, you know, he had the, he had the game of his life on Monday night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, now if Cam Newton was in there, I, I, still, I still think Kansas City would have won, but I don't think it would have gotten as out of hand as it did in the second half, in my opinion. I, I, do, I do think that game would have been extremely close mm-hmm. with Cam Newton because Cam Newton uh, can, when plays break down, uh, which they have a lot with New England especially, but he's that type of player that when a play breaks down, he's able to make something out of nothing. That's what makes Cam Newton Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. And so they were really missing that last week. And he doesn't make the mistakes that uh, Stidham was making and Hoyer were making. Yeah. I mean, Stidham didn't really have a, do a bad job. He kind of – Edelman really – affected that last play. Edelman should have caught that pass. And so that game ended up being when you when you just look at the scoreboard, it looked like oh man, it, the game wasn't close, but um they really weren't didn't get blown out in that game. No. 
it, despite the mistakes that they made on offense, the defense really kept them in that game. And you said that as of right now, Cam Newton is the odds-on favorite for comeback player of the year. And we have seen glimpses of the old Cam Newton, especially the Sunday night game against the Seattle Seahawks. Like you said, Boone, how he is able to make something out of, out of nothing on a play. And, you know, he's always been very mobile, but you can, you can start to see he finally has that, that zip back in his arm too. Definitely. He's, he's recovered nicely from those injuries he's, he's had. And, and not just the arm mm-hmm. and shoulder, but um, I think last year he had a foot injury. Yes, that, that he was I forgot about with. that. He had a foot injury as well. So he's coming back from multiple injuries mm-hmm. uh, that, affect, that affect his throwing, that affect his running. Mm-hmm. So for him to come back the way he has, has been nothing short of impressive. Absolutely. And second in the odds right now for comeback player of the year, Big Ben Roethlisberger. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, I look at this and I think Kansas City, I think they improved to 5-0. and Like I said, Derek Carr, you know, we all talk about confidence. And Kyle Williams, he'll tell you the same thing about Derek Carr, that he has lost whatever confidence he had. Because you talk about Carson Wentz, the MVP caliber season in 2017. And like I told you before, if I had a vote, I would have voted for Wentz that year. The year before that, in 2016, if I had a vote for MVP, it would have been Derek Carr. He did, he did have an impressive oh, season that year, yes. It was especially... Beating New Orleans in New Orleans, all of those those heroic fourth quarter comebacks. Whether it was Tampa Bay, he had like over, I think he threw for over 500 yards. But here's the thing: Why do you keep your quarterback in a game against the Indianapolis Colts? You've already clinched a playoff spot. You're well on your way to a first round bye. You're up by 26. It's week 16. Why the hell do you keep Derek Carr in there? And he breaks his leg, and he has been a shell of himself ever since. Unfortunately, I mean, it's one of those situations where it's easy to play mm-hmm. Monday morning quarterback yeah. and second-guess uh, decisions that were made. But, mm-hmm. you know, they there's always debate every year when you have a team that clinches a playoff spot or they have nothing left to play for. Because yeah. sometimes you may clinch a spot, but you can still get home field advantage you know, um, or, or even a first-round bye, which is crucial. Yeah. So if you have nothing left to play for, there's always that um, argument, keep him in there to keep him, you know, keep everything flowing. Mm-hmm. Or if you take him out, then you risk, well, if, if there's a layoff, then they're going to be rusty. And you see all the time when, when that happens to teams, they're rusty and you see first-round eliminations in the playoffs because of that. So mm-hmm. there's, that, there's that other piece of the other side of the argument is the rust factor by not having him in there. Um, I mean, it was late in the game, like you said, mm-hmm. but but then what do you do week 17? Do you not play him at all? Then there's two and a half weeks, so to speak, where he's not playing in a game. Now you come in, if they're rusty and get off to a bad start, uh, that, that ends up hurting a lot of teams and a lot of players. Lamar Jackson, last year. Ben Roethlisberger against the Jags two years ago. Dak Prescott, his rookie year. Those are the ones that his come to mind. His rookie year, yeah. They, mm-hmm. they were 13-3. and three Home and field advantage. The first playoff game, and they uh, didn't do so well. Yeah. They were rusty. And it's like Josh Manley even said, you wonder if they would have put Romo in, what could have happened? <laughs> but, yeah, Kansas City in my, in my book for Sunday. Uh, that's that's who I'm going with as well. We're on the same page so far, but uh, now Andy Reid, I'm I'm picking your Chiefs this week, so 
Don't let me down. Yeah. My luck, the opposite. And maybe, you know what? This could be Kyle Williams' mm -hmm. gift. I'm picking the Chiefs. This is what will bring him back into so, football. So, <laughs> Kyle Williams, I'm, I'm picking the Chiefs. And there, maybe that means the, the uh, Raiders have a chance. And there is no team he hates more than the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> I'm their kryptonite, and I'm picking them, so that means they lose. We'll see, what, we'll see if that trend continues. I guess I'll have to play... Kryptonite by three doors down to start the show. <laughs> oh. I'll have to put that in. <laughs> so, talking about Bill O'Brien, he's gone. Houston Texans, their own four. They host the one and three Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm. Sean Rosansky's least favorite team. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing, you you know, their own four. They were leading most of that game against the Steelers. Like you said, they drove down the field that Thursday night kickoff game against the Houston Texans. And, you know, they led a good portion of that game Sunday against the Vikings. To me, like you said, it just seems like Bill O'Brien had too much power. And the guys, you know, the guys, J.J. Watt especially, they just, they just weren't buying into it anymore. And, you know, like you said, you look at that team and you look at the talent. You look at Deshaun Watson. You look at Will Fuller. You look at the other side of the ball, too. Like, the, the pieces are there. Jacksonville, I mean, you know, Minshew Mania, you know. Like, I, I, I get it to a degree. But, like I said, if maybe a fresh start is what they need. I, I got to go with Houston. <laughs> You got the you, know? one, you got the one and three Jaguars, mm -hmm. the zero and four Texans. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think a fresh start for Houston is needed. I mean, it is it is the type of game where Minshew mania could come into play because mm -hmm. they're playing a team that's zero and four in Houston. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to go with Houston here because they have the better quarterback, and I think maybe getting rid of Bill O'Brien might rejuvenate that team and uh, give them new life. So I'll side with Houston on this yeah. one. Three and one, Baltimore Ravens. One, oh, that was a typo there. One, two, and one Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> I forgot to type that in. Joe Burrow finally did get that first win. I mean, he's been close every single game. And like you said, build a better offensive line around him. They will be a playoff contender several years down the road. They have, in all seriousness one of the the best offensive skill players in the National Football League. I think Joe Mixon is a top five running back. Um, they have a couple good tight ends there. Now, they did lose um, C.J. Uzoma to, Ooh, a, to, a, to a season-ending injury. But their, the uh, other tight end that they drafted this year, Drew Sample, mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's played pretty well. And they have... Three very good wide receivers. They have Boyd, A.J. Green, and that rookie, T. T. Higgins, Higgins, is very impressive. Um, so they have a very good um, offense. They just don't have the line. So <laughs> you're not seeing elite-level production out of Joe Mixon on a consistent basis. You're not going to see uh, Burrow light it up every week because when they play against a elite defense, like they're going to be going up against this week, um, they're not going to look as good, but they have the skill players. They just need an offensive line there, and if they can get an offensive line, if you can give a guy like Burrow time, if you can give a guy like Joe Mixon running lanes, that offense is going to take off. And on the other side of the field, 
Lamar Jackson has missed the last two days of practice, but I, I don't think it's anything serious. I know he was sick one day, and I guess his knee was bothering him today. They said that he still fully intends to play. But Baltimore, they're such a they're such a complete team on both sides. Yeah, and now that is interesting with Lamar. I didn't know about the injury this week. Um, I I do know over the summer, um, they were uh, keeping him light in practice uh, on a couple occasions because he had a knee injury in the summer. But again, it was not believed to be anything serious. But that's twice now that a knee injury or a concern has popped up for him so that's something to keep in mind going forward with him that that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to see hopefully you know it's nothing serious and he can you know it won't affect the season but that that's the situation to monitor there for sure especially being a runner as well <laughs> yeah he he's a he's one of those dual threat quarterbacks so he runs a lot and that's definitely a concern there well, you talked about their defense. I have their defense in Sean Rosansky's league, so obviously I'm hoping for a big day on Sunday. <laughs> and Justin Tucker, one of the more clutch kickers in the NFL as well. And Baltimore Ravens. This is, you know, Joe Burrow, he's been close in every single game he's played so far. Three-point three loss to the Chargers, five-point loss to the Browns, the tie against the Eagles, as we all know, finally getting that first win. But... I don't know. This is a game that I maybe could see Baltimore winning by double digits, possibly. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I do like the makeup of that Bengals offense, but going up against an elite defense in Baltimore, I just I, I, I don't see any way they can, they can get it done. Um, they have a bright future. I am very high on their skilled players, like, I, like I've been mentioning, but... You know, for this particular game against Baltimore, I don't, I don't see how they can keep up with them, and I don't think they're going to put a whole lot of points on the board there. Now, <clears> speaking <throat> of promising future, I guess you could say, Carolina Panthers are 2-2. Two and two. You look at their schedule at the beginning of the year, you're thinking they'll be lucky to win two games. <laughs> They've won their last two, and especially without Christian McCaffrey. They don't have one of their best uh, offensive players mm -hmm. there in McCaffrey. That's right. And they're two and two, but you know people don't give Bridgewater enough credit. He's no. he's a very good quarterback. Um, he came in last year for the Saints and kept them, um, you know, as one of the best teams in the entire league. Because um, uh, how many games was it? Like ten games? They five had? games. Five games. Oh, five. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. No, but, but it was but it was several games that they did not have Drew Brees and Bridgewater kept them afloat. Um, you know, they they still had a very good offense with Bridgewater. So, in a way, I'm kind of not surprised that they're having success there. Um, you know, they got a couple good weapons on offense. Uh, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, of course, Christian McCaffrey. But, uh, you know, in his absence, Mike Davis has come in at running back, and he's he's done a tremendous job there. The 0-4 Atlanta Falcons. The 0-4 Atlanta Falcons. Now, when we were talking a couple weeks ago, you, me, and Cots, about what coaches we thought were going to be the first to get the axe during the season, Cots said that he, his, his pick was Dan Quinn. And I'm surprised he has not been fired yet. Yeah. He's, still, he's still there. And uh, shockingly, he's not the first coach fired. No. Um, Quinn definitely should have been fired by now. I'm Last shocked. Last year, he, honestly. Yeah, but they they started at zero and four. He's he's how he still has a job is beyond me. 
Um, and especially with the way that they really should be two and two, um, with the way they blew those games, uh, you know, that, that's yeah, unacceptable. Not, yeah. Not trying <laughs> hardly any effort trying to get the onside kick against the Dallas Cowboys. And then Nick Foles being Nick Foles, <laughs> you know, when they play the Chicago bears and when they played the Seahawks on opening day, I mean, the Seahawks killed them 38 to 25. That doesn't really do justice of how Seattle dominated that game. I just I just don't see it in Atlanta. To me, I just I just don't see the effort this year. I I really really don't. I think it's pretty I mean, everyone always talks about 28 to 3. You're going to hear about that till the end of time. But when you blow a 19-point lead against the Dallas Cowboys, when you blow a 16-point lead against the Atlanta Falcons, to me, and in my opinion, I, I think Dan Quinn has pretty much lost that locker room. There was even talk last year when they started like 1-6 that, that he was going to get fired. But, you know, strong finish to 2019, just like Adam Gase. You know, I know they're at home, but I just like what I see out of Carolina right now. So I'm going to go out on a limb and take them. This is going to be the first pick where I'm going to disagree with you. We go separate ways. We go separate ways here. Uh, Believe me, I I understand all of the struggles with Atlanta. Um, You mentioned, and I agree, that Quinn possibly has lost the the locker room there. Um, But this is a division game. Mm -hmm. um, And so Atlanta still has an opportunity to uh, try to make a comeback and, and try and get their season on the right track. Um, Matt Ryan is the type of quarterback where uh, he's capable of rallying his team. And they got the weapons on their team to be able to do it. Um, They're going up against the Carolina team. Um, Really, their defense, uh, their first four games, they haven't been challenged all that much. And they're, they're going up against an offense in Atlanta that is capable of running up the scoreboard. We've seen them run up the scoreboard. Now, they are dealing with some injuries. Julio on Jones. Their own. Julio Jones, yeah. Calvin Ridley, uh, both have been, have, have been hurt. But it, uh, assuming that those guys are healthy, I think Atlanta can get um, in the win column this week. Now, this Sunday is not only Steelers-Eagles, it is not only the Charlotte Roval. We'll get into some NASCAR stuff here in a little bit. But Eric Kotz, his Miami Dolphins, on his birthday, they travel to the San Francisco 49ers. We were talking about it the other morning. Ryan Fitzpatrick is still the starter. That surprises me. Uh, To me, Miami is not going to make the playoffs with Fitzpatrick as, as the starting quarterback. Um, you know, they're, they're certainly capable of, of winning games. You have the Fitz magic mm-hmm. factor. That's kind of like Minshew mania. Yeah. Um, but they're not going to uh, make the playoffs or go on a big run. And so I think now is the perfect time for two a time. <laughs> I think I think it's time to see what you got in a, a rookie quarterback that you drafted in the first round. Your team is one in three. Obviously, you're not going anywhere, like I said, with Fitzpatrick. I think now is the time to see what you got in your rookie and let him get some experience. And maybe they win a game or two here and there. And now you're talking meaningful games where maybe there's an outside chance that maybe you can go on a playoff push. And why not do that with the rookie and get him those meaningful uh, 
games where he's getting experience where, okay, maybe you don't make it this year, but you're getting him that experience for next year. Exactly. And now maybe you can put it all together next year, kind of like what the Eagles did with Carson Wentz, mm -hmm. you know, his rookie year. They yeah. didn't go anywhere his rookie year, but the following year is when they put it all together. Magical run that year. It, it was magical. Run. And real quick, it really wasn't for me personally, you know, Carson Wentz's first two games, Cleveland Browns and the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears went like three and thirteen that year. So I really didn't buy into the hype initially those first two games because you're thinking you know, Cleveland and Chicago. The game that finally sold me on Carson Wentz was the Pittsburgh Steelers where they got murdered thirty four to three. <laughs> you know what that they, was what convinced me, man. What surprised me the most in that game wasn't necessarily Carson Wentz's play, but on the defensive side of the ball, I'll never forget that matchup where Jalen Mills shut down Antonio Brown. Yeah. <laughs> I think I got three points from Antonio Brown yeah, that day. That that shocked me the most because I, I expected if it was if the Eagles were gonna win, I was thinking they would win in a in a shootout game where it'd be like forty nine to forty two or something like that. Um, I certainly wasn't expecting it to unfold the way it did. Um, but yeah, Carson looked good in that game. And the defense looked really good containing uh, very premier uh, wide receivers. I was going to say at that time. At that time. At yeah. that time, who was, in my opinion, the best receiver in the NFL before he really went off the deep end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the other thing, too. Your defense got after Ben Roethlisberger. Pittsburgh's defense, they hardly touched Carson Wentz at all that game. Yeah, that was uh, that was impressive that they were able to contain Pittsburgh's defense. And like I said, I, I getting back to they're playing each other coming up this week, I don't see them protecting Carson Wentz this time around the way they did in 16. I think Pittsburgh's defense is much better, and Philly's offensive line is much worse. So... <laughs> Those two factors, come, they, they don't make a good combination. No, they sure don't. <laughs> so, 1-3 Miami Dolphins, 2-2 two two San Francisco 49ers, and it's it sounds like Jimmy Garoppolo that this could be the game where he returns. And it's like I told you, this is a game that maybe could get a little out of hand. And if it gets a little out of hand, is that the moment that you finally put two in? I, I personally would. I mean, obviously, you know... We're just two guys from Nanny Coke on a podcast, <laughs> but but uh, I I certainly would would go with Tua. I would put him in. I mean, I would start him in this game. That but that's just my my own thing. So I'm definitely on board with getting Tua in the game if it gets out of hand, and uh, seeing what you got in him. Exactly. So. Cots, I don't know how much of a happy birthday this is going to be for you, but uh, I'm taking the 49ers. <laughs> yeah, on his birthday, i got to go with the 49ers as well. Now, Chase Elliott might get him a win at the Rove Hall, so <laughs> one out of two ain't bad. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. Yeah, I cannot wait for that. That that race is going to be absolutely insane. It's going to be – there's going to be tons of chaos yeah. in that race. Right off the bat. So <clears> – <throat> Taking the 49ers, right? I am taking the All 49ers. Right. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, Boone. So like you were saying, like the thing with Ryan Fitzpatrick is he's very hit and miss. You know, you're going to have those games where you could put him on your fantasy roster and you'll get 
four touchdowns, 400 some yards, and then you'll get a game like this, ironically, Tampa and Chicago two years ago. You know, you're two and one, you beat the Saints, you beat the Eagles, almost beat the Steelers. And halftime against the Bears two years ago, you throw three interceptions and get benched. So you never know what to expect out of him. Yeah, he's he's been very hit or miss, and he's been like that his whole career. Mm-hmm. He'll have good games, he'll have bad games, but really in the long term, you're not going to have long-term success and be a serious playoff contender with him. No, never. I mean, the closest was the 2015 New York Jets. Ironically, the Jets, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Mad Dog Russo and Mike Francesa when you need them? <laughs> exactly. That is ridiculous. <laughs> There's only one more. <laughs> god damn it. <laughs> oh my god. Back after this. Um, but yeah, so like I said, man, I'm taking I'm taking the 49ers and like you said, you and they build they're building that offensive line too as well. You say it all the time whether it's the Dolphins, the Eagles, whatever the case may be, you always say it and it's so true. Build the trenches. Yes. Um, Both sides of of the ball, offensive line, defensive line, I think that's where it truly starts. Um, Obviously, on your offensive line, you want to protect your franchise quarterback. Um, They say that's the most important position in football. So if that's the case, you want to do what you can to protect that guy. So that's why an offensive line is very important in that regard. And obviously, on the defensive side of the ball, when you're on the opposing side, you want to put pressure on that quarterback. So you need to have good pass rushers and guys that can, you know, get past the offensive line to uh, get hits and put pressure and sack the quarterback. That's the whole uh, objective. And that's where it all, to me, begins. Exactly. And it's funny that you mentioned, I mean, we were talking a little bit about Steelers-Eagles too, talking about offensive line and defensive line. And the 2008 game – down in Philadelphia, how Ben Roethlisberger got sacked eight times. Eight times. <laughs> you know, Boy, I can't remember point. back that far, Jake. <laughs> I didn't even... good notes. <laughs> yeah, I... Oh, believe me, I didn't forget that one. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, Jill and I went to Dover that day, so I didn't have to witness that. <laughs> but you remembered the, the, the highlights. Oh, I definitely it. remember. And that's the thing, throughout our lifetime... There have been some memorable moments with Steelers-Eagles. Now, the last time, get ready for this. So, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they began in 1933. The Philadelphia Eagles began in 1933. And crazy times right now with the pandemic. But obviously nothing could compare to World War II. I remember. where I know where you're going with this. And 1943... The Steagles. Yes. Pittsburgh and Philadelphia merging together. Right. They didn't have enough players to field separate teams, so they combined teams for that year. That's absolutely right. So the last time that the Pittsburgh Steelers won a regular season game in Philadelphia, 1965. Wow. 1965, before Chuck Knoll ever got there. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. And this was back when Pittsburgh and Philly, you know, when they were division rivals, obviously, before the AFL-NFL merger and Pittsburgh went to the AFC. And, you know, I mean, that's pretty much that was pretty much the equivalent of the NFC when you think of it. Right. So the last time that the Eagles won in Pittsburgh was 2000, the last year of Three River Stadium. 
Yeah, that so, was right in the infancy of the uh, McNabb. Yeah, uh, era, that was pretty much. That was the first year they made the playoffs. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah. So obviously, some memories ever since then. You know, two thousand and four, just one week after the Steelers knocked off New England, their first loss of the year. That was when they knocked off Philadelphia, twenty-seven to three. Ben's rookie year, and that was really the first time that you could see some cracks with Donovan McNabb and Terrell Owens was that game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, their first year together was magical. Obviously, that was the year they, they went to the Super Bowl, but then the following year, um, you know, there were some issues there, and, you know, they certainly had some issues in the locker room between the two of them, and I... Uh, I think Owens was upset because McNabb wasn't throwing to him all, mm-hmm. all the time. And I mean, there were other issues too going on there, uh, but there was a lot of back, back and forth between them. And that kind of led to a very uh, disappointing season. The turning point that a lot of people forget was the game against the Dallas Cowboys, Roy Williams with the horse collar tackle and how Donovan McNabb said after that game, he, he's like, oh, we don't need to replace T.O., that was the beginning of the end right then and there. And also the Super Bowl, after losing that Super Bowl to Philadelphia, and of course when McNabb, when he puked at the 50-yard line. Oh, you had to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey you, you can talk about Pittsburgh and Green Bay after this if you want. But, nah, uh, that's all right. Um, you know, the thing is how, how T.O. made the comment afterwards. He said if Brett Favre was the quarterback, we would have won that game. Well, and keep in mind that Super Bowl, and obviously I, I remember that very well for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. but uh, Terrell Owens balled out in that game, and he did that on a bum ankle. Exactly. He, he, had, he had an injury that he played through, and he battled through it in championship form. And really, if they won that game, he probably, you could make the case, he should have won MVP. Oh, and they wow. were right there. But on the final drive, that was when McNabb, for whatever reason, wasn't feeling well. Whether it was nerves, whether there was a ailment he was dealing with, I, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what the case was. But he literally choked. <laughs> he literally choked, and you know that was when he puked, and uh, you know made Eagles fans sick to their stomachs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, what made me sick to my stomach was that was the closest we ever came to a Pennsylvania Super Bowl. Ben Roethlisberger's rookie year to go 15-1. and 15-1, yeah, that was the 15-1 and one year for them. And sure enough, those were some of the tapes that Roger Goodell allegedly burned was the 2004 AFC Championship. So, nevertheless, that is why I felt the way I, I did about the Patriots for a long time. <laughs> But hey, it all made up for it in the end 13 years later. <laughs> that was one of the greatest moments, your greatest moment ever, obviously. Oh, definitely. And how ironic, well, it was 14 to 13. <laughs> Ryan suck up another field goal, but sure enough, Nick Foles, the touchdown to Jimmy Graham right before halftime of this Thursday night game, Tampa and Chicago. And Brady had a touchdown to Mike Evans early on in the game. But that had to be such, such an amazing feeling. There's no feeling like when you finally see your team win a Super Bowl. And, you know, you had to, I know you had to wait a, a little longer than I did, but... Uh, it was worth the wait, though. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Just, just them winning and, you know, the, there's no memory like win, ha- having your team win, win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, 
Someday Cots might might experience that. Someday. He'll 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 know what we uh <laughs> what we've experienced, but uh because obviously he wasn't around when the Dolphins uh won in the seventies. Yeah. But uh season. but no, I mean there's there's absolutely nothing like it. And you know, I, I truly mean it when I say, you know, even if I never get to see Philly win another Super Bowl, having experienced it once was was truly magical. I mean, I never, th- with the way Philly sports are in general, I never thought I'd get to mm-hmm. see one. Uh, but the way they finally did it and the way the team came together that year was was unbelievable. Absolutely, especially after the Carson Wentz injury. For me, when I finally saw the Steelers win the Super Bowl, when they beat Seattle in Super Bowl Forty, I know there's some people who are going to complain about the calls here and there, but nevertheless, <laughs> that was a very controversial game for oh, the yeah. officials. Yeah. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger moving the ball <laughs> right into the end zone after he was down, but hey, it is what it is. But just for me, I just remember just screaming and honestly honestly crying at the end of the game and I mean okay I only had to wait 11 years compared to you but still I think what did it for me was just the fact that you knew it was Jerome Bettis's last game you just knew it going in and what a honestly you know people could say oh the fix was in or whatever but seriously to end your career in your hometown with a Super Bowl what else can you say yeah I mean and for the Eagles I mean obviously he's not to the pedigree of Jerome Bettis but for the Eagles that player was uh, Brent Selleck, the tight end. Um, you know, he was a, played a very critical role for them. He was a great blocking tight end. And when they called on him for clutch plays to get, you know, critical first downs, he was the guy that made those tough catches. Um, he always found a way to get open when they asked him to be a receiver. And, you know, like I said, on, on other passing downs, he made he was the blocking tight end, and he did that job – phenomenally for them so gonna keep it here in the nfc east and of course the 2012 game in pittsburgh with the eagles that went right down the wire sean sweezum last second field goal and even then even when you knew even though that you kind of knew that andy's time in philadelphia was coming to an end i'll never forget after that game was over how mike tomlin said that Andy was one of his honestly one of his best friends in the nfl and someone that he has learned a lot from I didn't even know that, yeah. that they were that they were close friends. Wow, yeah, cause, didn't cause, know that. Because I know that every every year, obviously not this year with the pandemic, but however year you do usually have that Steelers Eagles preseason game. Yes. So and Andy always talks about when you drive in when you drive into Pittsburgh and you, and you just see the the city pop up like right then and there. <laughs> he he's always talked about how much he loves that. So sticking to the NFC East. Nance and Romo's game for this week, the 1-3 Dallas Cowboys, 0-4 New York Giants. Of course Romo's going to call it Cowboys game. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, if he wasn't, then Troy Aikman would be calling this game. Dak Prescott is leading the league in passing yards, 1,690. Obviously, I'm very happy about that, having him on my fantasy team. But it's like Shannon Sharp said, a lot of these... Yards are coming while they're down double digits, just like last year, even when Jason Garrett was there. And Dak Prescott is the first player in NFL history, 450 passing yards, three games in a row. Yeah, they're, they're I guess you can say, I, I don't know if it's fair to use the term garbage time stats, but these stats are happening in the second half of the games when they're down big and they have no choice but to throw the ball. 
in the first half of these games, you know, that's when you really need to have your offense firing on all cylinders to get off to a good start. And the Dallas Cowboys in the first half of games, they're not doing that. No, not at all. 307 rushing yards by the Cleveland Browns. Just to put this in perspective, Sunday morning, Jane Slater on NFL Network, she follows the Dallas Cowboys. She was saying that the last time that the Cleveland Browns beat the Dallas Cowboys was 1994. 1994, that was obviously the year that Barry Switzer took over the team. Now, Nick Chubb, he was placed on IR. That's, that's short-term IR. That's really unfortunate because what a start to the season that, that he has had. And that's the thing with, with Cleveland. Who ever imagined that they would be 3-1, and one, Dallas would be 1-3, and three, and it's the, the defense just has not gotten a job done. And Xavier Woods, who's on the Cowboys, he said that a lot of times you're not going to put 100% effort into place. That's and your your reaction says it right then and there. That is that's definitely raising some eyebrows right then then and there. So yeah, it's the NFL. You got to give one hundred percent on every play, especially when you're playing for America's team. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, no. for the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> and you're going to make a remark like that, and now you're one and three. I mean, that's that's unacceptable. Jerry's not going to put up with that. <laughs> I don't think Mike McCarthy's really going to put up with it either. And you know, the New York Giants, they're zero and four. But to me, you know, you have the rivalry, obviously, with the Eagles being geographically close to each other. But just about every Giants fan that I know, it seems like the one game that they always talk about and the one team that they always want to beat is the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, it just, it, it's weird, like you said, geographically speaking, because I would think, you, you would naturally want to think that Philly, New York... Because, I mean, every other sport is like that. Philly, New oh, York, yeah. and other sports are always big-time rivalries. And, I mean, they still are in football as well. The Giants and Eagles games are always um, big games. But it's not the same as with the Dallas Cowboys. For whatever reason, the Dallas Cowboys have that mantra that you you got to beat them. you got to beat America's team. you got to beat the Cowboys. We hate the Cowboys. You know, that's the way the Eagles, really the whole division. I mean, everybody is is after the Cowboys in in that regard that, you know, they're the team that you want to beat the most rather than anybody else. So, nevertheless, this, you know, you hate to say it, but this has to be a must win for Dallas, obviously. I mean, you guys are leading the division at 1-2-1, and but... So it's still it's even still winnable for the Giants. But. I was going to say it's must win. And it's it, it, you could make the argument it's must win for both teams yeah. because the the team in first place only has one win, and the Eagles are only by themselves in first <laughs> yeah. place because of the tie with Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> but the the point is, I mean, even being zero and four. New York is right in the thick of it if they somehow got it together. So they're still in the running for the division and the number one pick at the same time. Yeah. Gotta love the NFC least. The (laughs) NFC least. Exactly. Exactly. So obviously, me personally, I am hoping for another big day out of Dak Prescott. (laughs) Because let's see here. 45 points against the Falcons. 39 fantasy points against the Seahawks and 50 against the Cleveland Browns. So definitely going with the Dallas Cowboys. 
Yeah, I, ha I have to go with them here as well. Um, you know, their defense is atrocious. They're probably going to make Daniel Jones look really, really good. Um, but I think at the end of the day, they're probably going to... Um, I would think they're going to get more stops on New York than New York will get on Dallas. So I'm going with the Cowboys as well. Now, for me personally, I think the biggest surprise for me so far this year is Cleveland at 3-1. and one. I mean, they're talented. I know that, that you felt pretty, pretty high about them going into the year. Now, let me ask you this. We talk about Kirk Cousins missing Stephon Diggs. At the same time, I wonder... How much of it is, of is not having Stefan Diggs, but also not having Kevin Stefanski? Yeah, I mean, that's Minnesota is certainly not um, doing well at all on offense. And I think it's a combination of both of those uh, elements that we mentioned. Stefanski with the play calling, Diggs being the playmaker um, that Kirk Cousins could just simply, you know, throw it to. You know, the, the, the problem now is, I mean, they still have Thielen, but the problem is your best cornerback is it can play Thielen the whole game. You don't have to worry about Thielen and Diggs. Now you only have to worry about Thielen. I mean, I know that obviously there's other receivers on the field. They got a, a young promising rookie there in Justin, Justin Jefferson. Jefferson. But uh, for this particular season, the main threat is Thielen. So your best cornerback can focus on him. And if you take him out of the game, that offense just isn't the same. So 425 game for Cleveland with the Indianapolis Colts. Do you know the Indianapolis Colts, they limited the Chicago Bears to 28 rushing yards this past Sunday. That's the least they have given up since the year they lost the Super Bowl to the Saints. And Chicago's offensive line is not that bad. You And they got a premier talent in David Montgomery that that really is surprising but that's speaking volumes of the Indianapolis Colts defense um you know they had a they had a very good uh promising defense coming into the season but I certainly didn't think that they were capable of holding um the Bears offensive rushing to 28 total yards you're gonna be shocked when I say this, and believe me, it pains me to say this, first off, Cleveland, this, they're 3-1 for the first time since 2001. So I would imagine the last time they were 4-1, you're probably talking like the Marty Schottenheimer days. I am taking Cleveland. I am on board with you 100%. Um, I'm surprised that you're picking them, by the <laughs> Believe way. Believe me. <laughs> I, 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 I thought this was going to be another game of, of disagreement between the two of us, but you're, you shocked me by taking Cleveland. And, yeah, I'm taking Cleveland, too. And, um, you know, this was a team that I was um, high on coming into the year, uh, dangerously so, because <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I'm feeling dangerous just like Baker Mayfield. But, but no, I mean, I, and I've mentioned this to you a lot with Cleveland. You have not heard a word all offseason. You have not seen anything out of Baker Mayfield. No. And that, to me, tells me this guy is focused. He's putting in the work. He's not out there talking trash. He's not saying, oh, we're going to do all these great things. He kept his mouth shut. So that tells me that he finally gets it and that he's focused. And that's why I was very high on this Cleveland Browns team. On paper, they, had a, they, they have the playmakers. They have a good defense. They have, they're good on both sides of the, the lines, offensive and defensive. I stress that a lot. And 
on offense, you've got two premier running backs in Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. They have weapons with Landry and uh, Odell Beckham Odell Jr. Beckham Jr. on at wide receiver. They got a couple good tight ends there. Let's not forget about them either. They have uh, all around the whole roster. Uh, they they have good players. Yeah, Austin Hooper, and they got Jack Conklin from the Tennessee Titans as well. And that touchdown, that touchdown that Jarvis Landry threw to Beckham. And of course, you know Dallas. They had a shot there at the end, but that that reverse <laughs> where Beckham took off and sealed the game. I mean, if you had Odo Beckham this past Sunday, you're talking at least a good forty three fantasy points there. And see, if if you are a Cleveland Browns fan, I'm sure there there might not be that many that that listen, but <laughs> but 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 if you're on if you're for the Cleveland Browns, you have to like what you saw with the resiliency. You you're playing in Dallas in Big D. In Jerry Jones's backyard, you are starting to lose that lead. You 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 built up a big lead against the Cowboys. Now they're marching back. The resiliency of that Cleveland offense to put them away. You gotta like what you saw there. That's clutch, and to me, that that should lead to um, bigger and better things for this Cleveland team going forward. They are a very dangerous team, and it would not shock me to see the Cleveland Browns compete for the AFC North division title. Bold, but like you said, you felt like Baltimore would be in the in the hunt, but take a little bit of a step back. And obviously, like we talked about, Ben Roethlisberger, his presence finally being back in the lineup, it, it definitely makes that division wide open. Yeah, um, I mean, now Pittsburgh obviously has gotten off to a tremendous start, um, and you can never count out Baltimore. But Cleveland is going to be right there, and I think those games between the the Browns and Steelers and the Browns and Ravens, they're going to be some very good football games. Now, Sunday Night Football, the leading MVP candidate, at least that's what the odds say, Russell Wilson in Seattle taking on Minnesota. Last time they started 4-0 was the year that they won the Super Bowl. The only time other than this year that they or the only time in their existence that they've started four now. You can never count out Russell Wilson. And, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, when 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 we were talking about Carson Wentz and um being a premier quarterback, when you're being paid elite quarterback money, you're expected to overcome deficiencies. That's Russell Wilson. That's what Russell Wilson does. They don't always have a great offensive line. They don't always have weapons to throw to. They didn't always have, um, you know, these these receivers that they have now. I think Lockett might be the only receiver that that he's had. They they've always had these no name guys at receivers that somehow come up and make big plays. But that's Russell Wilson, exactly. and that's also overcoming an atrocious, an atrocious offensive line. And we're also talking about a team that hasn't had great success with running backs. They ever since Marshawn Lynch left. The, the, every running back that they get gets injured. Chris um, Carson, R- CJ Procise. Rashad yeah. Penny. Yeah. All these guys get hurt all the time. So you, Russell Wilson is not getting consistent uh, play from running backs. He's dealing with a bad offensive line, not a lot of weapons on offense, yet year in and year out, you can never count him out. Never. Man, some of those receivers that he had back in the day, you know, you had – you had Jermaine Curse. You had Luke Wilson. That was one of the tight ends. And even their defense. Their defense is nothing like like the Legion of Boom days either. Not even close. No, definitely not. So, 
I think Seattle definitely improves to 5-0. and I mean, like I said, Minnesota, I think it's just they were just lucky enough to play the Texans. <laughs> so, so two games on Monday now, 5 o'clock, Denver Broncos at New England Patriots. We still don't know if, if Cam Newton is going to start or not. I mean, there is a possibility. But you look, at, you look at Denver. I know both of us were high on Denver. Drew Locke, it's still unknown when he's going to return. Cortland's- he could be back this week. Nice. He could be back. It's it's going to be a game time decision on him. Yeah. So Drew Locke, the shoulder injury against the Steelers. Cortland Sutton lost for the year with knee injury. Von Miller as well. That's a, that was a huge huge blow on yeah. the other side of the ball. Yeah. And then, like I said, the New England Patriots. They have, you know, they're two and two, and it's honestly shocked me a little bit that they're that they've looked so good so far. Because I thought that this was they were definitely going to take a step back with. Tom Brady leaving for Tampa, but especially on defense, yeah, because they a lot of players, players. opted out Eight players. with the COVID. Yeah, uh, a lot of players on the defensive side of the ball for New England opted out, and they contained uh, Mahomes and and that Chiefs offense. They they really did a good job. They should have won that game based on the defense. Um, but obviously, they didn't have enough on offense with missing Cam Newton. How, how funny is it that? New England got all the calls to go their way for 19 years, and it seemed like you were saying how Kansas City was getting all the calls on Monday night. It really did seem that way. I mean, there there were some calls in that game. Like, for example, the Patrick Mahomes fumble that they said he was down, and, you know, everybody said, you look at that replay, mm-hmm. he was not down. No. That was definitely a fumble. Uh, so Mahomes got the benefit of the – he got the superstar treatment on that. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, they, uh, granted, they still probably would have won that game. But, um, you know, you got if, if you're a New England fan, you got to like what you saw out of your defense in that game. And I think going forward with Bill Belichick, you know, they're, they're a well-coached team. Coaching is obviously extremely important. And Belichick has proven that he can compete without Brady. Keep in mind – the year that Brady was suspended for four games, they went three and one with backup quarterbacks and yeah. two quarterbacks. Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo, and then Jacoby Brissett. Brissett, and eleven and five with Matt Castle in two thousand eight when Brady tore his ACL. Right. So this one, honestly, it's kind of a little harder to pick, but I'm gonna go with New England. Yeah, I gotta go with them here. Even if Drew Locke is back, I think I'm still leaning towards New England here. Um, even without Cam Newton, I think Stidham, I mean, I liked what I saw out of him, even though he had uh, a couple picks. The one pick in that game really wasn't his fault. Edelman, who normally is a clutch receiver, bobbled that ball, and that's, that's how that one ended up being intercepted. So he really, in my opinion, only had one bad throw. I think on a full week with preparing Stidham at quarterback, this is all assuming Cam is, I, I'm assuming he's right. going to be out with the COVID stuff. He, you know, I don't think he could, you know, come back in time for the game. But a full week with preparing with Stidham, I think that gives New England a good chance here. I think they they can they can handle a Broncos uh, team that is decimated on both sides of the ball. I agree. Now a little bit of irony for Monday night, the Monday night game, eight fifteen. Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. This could be his final season. Going up against. The team that drafted him in 2001, Ooh. the Chargers. And like we talked about with Justin Herbert, Anthony Lynn today said that he is the starter moving forward. Well, that's absolutely the right decision. I mean, 
I feel horrible for Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. I mean, he really did get the short end of the stick. He really wasn't playing that bad. But, I mean, unfortunately, with with the situation that the Chargers are in, you drafted Herbert in the first round for a reason. And you bring him in and he plays well. You can't, you can't, turn, you can't go back now. No. I mean, you can't bench a guy who's playing well, who is supposed to be your future franchise quarterback. The future is now. So they have to stick with Herbert, and it sucks for Tyrod Taylor, um, given you know the the stuff that happened there with him. But you have to stick with Justin Herbert now. Now let me ask you this about Drew Brees. There is talk that this could be his last season, and being down fourteen nothing early on against the Detroit Lions, he has thrown several interceptions. Some of it, obviously, you know, Michael Thomas not being in the lineup. He has struggled. This was actually his first win without Michael Thomas. Do you feel like there are some signs of age? Absolutely. Um, well, keep in mind, too, he was injured last year for five games. Um, Throwing thumb. Th- right, right. So that, that, could, that could have affected him there. Um, and Part of it, I think, is missing Michael Thomas. But see... What, what does he always do with Michael Thomas? It's these short field passes. Uh, he's not, you know, throwing long bombs down the field for the most part anymore. He's throwing these dink and dunk type uh, passes. So uh, I, a part of it is missing your, the, one of the best wide receivers in the game in Michael Thomas. That's certainly playing a role here. But I do think Father Time is catching up with him as well. Um, you know, he's... He's not because he didn't always have Michael Thomas, and he 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 still always had high high powered offenses. Those days are done. So until Michael Thomas comes back, I don't know is he going to be back this week? Questionable. He's questionable. <laughs> Me and so, Danny Williams are praying that he comes back for Monday night. <laughs> well, well, again with with uh, the injury situation there, I, I do think part of it is Father Time. He's he's not the quarterback that he used to be. And that offense is going to uh, be limited because of it. Alvin Kamara, best PPR back in the league. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, but again, it's all these short passes yeah. to guys like Thomas, guys like Kamara. That's that's what's keeping that offense rolling. Now, speaking of PPR backs, Austin Eckler, he mm. sounds like he's going to be out four to six weeks. Yeah, he's definitely going to miss this week. Uh, they're going to be relying on... Justin Jackson and um, Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly. Yeah. So the funny thing is, Kay Adams on NFL Network. Obviously, she talks about fantasy football. You know, have, has a segment all the time, Waiver Wire Wednesday. And sure enough, she was saying like that was pretty much the guy to pick up was Joshua Kelly. I know both of us were were pretty high on him going into our drafts this year. So, sure enough, I got Joshua Kelly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Obviously see, a good pickup right I was now. Gonna say, see, I actually do pay attention <laughs> when she's on TV. So, you have that. You have uh, Tim Patrick from the Broncos. That was another one, obviously, if you're you know a little, little depleted on receivers or you have guys that are on bye weeks like, like Kenny Galladay, for instance. So, yeah. But when I look at this, when I look at this, you know, even with – out, you know, I don't think there was going to be any fans there. I'm taking the Saints because I guess they wanted to have fans there, but I guess government officials or state, local officials or whatever, I guess they couldn't sign off on it. So 
Actually, I think this game, because of the hurricane, could get moved. Uh, hurricane there was, Delta. There was talk about it, but I guess it's still going to be in New Orleans. Okay. I know I, I know LSU, I know their game They were going to move moved. to Indy, I thought. Yeah, but last I checked, it's still going to be at the Superdome. Okay. okay. So, yeah, I'm going with New Orleans. Um, it's 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 hard to pick though. It yeah. really this this is a very tough game to pick, and because you know to me it's, I think I'm gonna go opposite here. I'm gonna it, it, I think you know there's always one or two upsets a week in the NFL. There's always at least one or two games where you know you have events happen that you don't see happening. Mm-hmm. I think that could happen in this Monday night game. I think the Chargers could upset the Saints. And I don't know if I would consider it that much of an upset, given what we just talked about with Drew Brees not being what he used to be. If Michael Thomas especially is not going to play, then I like the Chargers pick even more. And and, and that's the thing. Chargers have been in a lot of close games too. They have been. And, well, keep in mind, a couple weeks ago, they almost beat the Chiefs. The 10-point. And, yeah. you know, Justin Herbert, I think this, this uh, kid is the real deal there. Um, he's a franchise quarterback in the making. Um, so I, I think the Chargers have what it takes to pull off an upset here. Talking about Monday Night Upsets, the Raiders beat the Saints week two. Yeah. And that's where all the talk sort of resurfaced about, about Drew and his age and his throwing mechanics. So now, like I said, this is the biggest one. Buffalo Bills 4-0. Tennessee Titans 3-0. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> As of right now, this game has been moved to Tuesday night, October 13th, as long as there are no more positive tests on the Tennessee Titans. Obviously, who knows, there could be one right right now as we speak, and that would pretty much throw a wrench into everything. Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills, that's a Thursday night game for next week. In the event that this game goes off on Tuesday night, Chiefs at Bills, that gets moved to Sunday, October 18th. And I would imagine if I were CBS and I have it, a 425 game with Romo and Nance for sure. But, you know, we talked about it. You know, Josh Allen, the MVP level. Joshua MVP Allen, as you like to say. That's right. All of the weapons that he has, whether it's whether it's Diggs, John whether Brown. it's John Brown, I have him as well. And Tennessee... Like I said, Tennessee, they got I would say that they they got a target on their back right now. There are a lot of people in the NFL that are pissed at them. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill, he was the one supposedly orchestrating all the practices. And Derrick Henry, aside from the Vikings game, he kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start these first two games. Yeah, I think they're stacking the box on him and defenses are focusing on on him and they're they're forcing Tannehill to throw. And you know, they they they're basically saying if we're going to have somebody beat us, it's not going to be Derrick Henry, it's going to be Tannehill. We'll take our chances That's with what Tannehill. Andy Reid did in the AFC Championship. Yeah. Exactly. So, I think looking at that as the blueprint, take Derrick Henry out of the game. Stack the box, take him out of the game, make Tannehill beat you um, through the air. Yeah, and I mean they have they have a decent receiving core, but nothing, not even close like the kind that Buffalo has. 
Not even close. I mean, AJ, no. AJ Brown is still banged up. Yeah, and I have him yeah. on my fantasy <laughs> team too. And I have but, John uh, Smith. Yeah. But, I mean, AJ Brown, is a, he's a very good receiver, and I really liked him this year. Uh, but injuries have, have played a role in, in, you know, that so far not coming to fruition there. He's only played in one game. Uh, but I have to go with Buffalo here simply because, I mean, if this was a regular game and no COVID implications, it would be a toss-up because they're both undefeated teams. In my mind, they're both playoff caliber teams. So it would really be a flip of a coin. But because of what's happening with COVID, you have a Tennessee team that is they're not legally allowed to practice. <laughs> they're not legally allowed to practice. <laughs> Apparently, you know, we, we know that they've uh, broken those rules. But since they're legally not allowed to practice, um, that's going to really disrupt their chemistry and game flow and game planning. And because of that, that, that the pendulum swings big time in Buffalo's favor in that regard because they're going to be able to, you know, work on their um, – issues that they need to work on, fine-tune their game and, you know, develop new play calls and so to speak. That that that's a huge edge to Buffalo. Circle of wagons. I'm with you on this one. <laughs> so we covered the NFL. Now time for a little bit of NASCAR talk. I know that you were absolutely thrilled last Saturday at Talladega Super Speedway. Why is that? You said, you said, I never imagined back in January that I would get excited over NASCAR Xfinity racing at Talladega Super Speedway. So to paint the picture for you guys, and I'm sure you guys remember the story before, the Daytona Xfinity race in August... Jason Boone puts money down on Justin Haley to win the race. What was it like seven? Was it seven bucks she put down on him or something? <laughs> I think it, I, 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 something like that. And I, I won. I profited sixty three. Yeah, sixty three dollars. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, when he was running fourth at the last corner and they all wrecked. <laughs> oh, that was a that that finish. That I mean. He called me afterwards. I can't even repeat some of the things he said on the phone. <laughs> I was in Ric Flair mode, baby. <laughs> Woo! Woo! So sure enough, he won at Daytona. He won at Talladega back in June. It was pretty obvious that we were going to pick him this past Saturday at Talladega Super Speedway. Exactly. And he was, you know, he had the penalty for coming down pit road when the caution came out. And you, you said, this screws Haley. And I was like... It's Talladega. There's still a long ways to go. They're not done wrecking at all. And sure enough, how he got that bottom line working with just a couple laps to go. And, you know, Briscoe, the, the move that he made trying to block Noah Gregson, surprised they didn't wreck right then and there. But sure enough, there was Justin Haley with two laps to go going for the lead and the win. <laughs> the way that he, I mean, it was just precision. The, the, the calculated move that he made to go down there. I mean, you got to have the timing right. You got to be in the right place at the right time. And he found a, with you too. He, he found a way to do it and it, it paid off for him. I mean, it was just, it was amazing to, to, to see it all unfold the way it did. So then you <laughs> immediately afterwards, you might as well tell everyone your, your nickname for 
One Justin Haley. <laughs> Justin Moneymaker Haley. <laughs> How much did you win from that race? <laughs> well, that one wasn't... I, I didn't put a whole... Because of Talladega, because of the nature of, of, of the beast at that course, I didn't... I didn't win a whole lot there. I think I only won 15. I put a small, I, yeah. the bet was a much smaller because with, with Talladega, as, as, as you're aware, and as you've explained mm -hmm. previously, I mean, anything can happen. And, and it's, it's, it's so volatile that um, one wrong move and half the course can be taken, half, half the drivers half can the be field, even more wiped sometimes. out. They yeah. can be wiped out. So As we saw this past Sunday. Oh. <laughs> Dark horse. That was awesome. Yeah. So he made a little bit of history, and obviously I'm very, very familiar with this. The only – he joined two other drivers to have won three restrictor plate races in a single season in the Xfinity Series, Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Wow. When you talk about Daytona and Talladega, obviously – and I, I'm not saying as an Earnhardt fan, but when it came to Daytona and Talladega, those two were absolute masters. And Dale won, <clears throat> Dale won the 1993 Bush races at Daytona and Talladega. So that was the streak for him. Dale Jr. in 2003, both Bush races at Daytona and Talladega that year. That is elite company right there. Yeah, it's one thing <clears throat> to win it once. You know, the, the criticism can, can be that it was, it was a fluke. You know, because again, of all the wrecks that, that happen at these races... Um, it's very easy for a no-namer or, you know, somebody that's not an, an elite driver. Like Rafael Lassard in the truck race earlier that day. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's one thing to, to have one win like that and call it a fluke. But to do it again and again and again, that to me is not a fluke. And that to me tells me that he's an elite driver. He's, he's has an, the makings of an elite driver. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when it comes to restrictor plate racing, it's a lot of luck. you got to have good cars. Good mm -hmm. engines, good equipment. Obviously, they get their stuff from Richard Childress Racing. They put a lot into restricted play races. But at the end of the day, you got to position yourself. You and obviously, he has adapted to the draft very, very well. Sunday was absolute freaking chaos right off the bat. <laughs> Christopher Bell and Tyler Reddick lap one. <laughs> you had that. You had. Joey Logano pushing Alex Bowman and Eric Almirola, a little bit of a mini big one, and Eric was kind of pissed at Bowman, but honestly, and, and you know me, I, I'm Bowman's harshest critic there is, but that was that was sort of more on Joey Logano than, than anything, and Joey has proven to be a good plate racer, but also a bit of a menace at, at Daytona and Talladega, and it, it reared its ugly head again on Sunday. You're pushing him into, pushing Bowman into Almirola, making it a must win for him. And then Clint Boyer, we got some big, big news right before he came here. Clint Boyer is, in fact, retiring. He is retiring. Okay. He is retiring, and he is going to be joining your favorite driver of all time, Jeff Gordon, in the Fox booth next year. He, so he's going to be with Gordon Yeah, Fox. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah, especially when those two had so much bad blood between the two of them in 2012. <laughs> they, they were had, whether it was Martinsville, whether it was Phoenix, it, the Phoenix race, how Clint Boyer went after Jeff Gordon, after Jeff wrecked him and ruined his championship, I hope so. <laughs> so it's definitely going to be interesting seeing those two in the booth. And you, it makes you wonder which booth is going to be more enjoyable next year. Jeff Gordon and Clint Boyer on Fox or on NBC. 
Dale Jr., Jeff Burton, Steve Letarte. The thing with, with them is it seems like there's there's too many in the booth there, you know? Yeah, well, obviously, I'm a Jeff Gordon guy. You're a Dale Earnhardt Jr. <laughs> yeah. guy, so I'm going to enjoy the Fox broadcast <laughs> yeah. a little bit more. You know, the first thing that just popped into my mind when you said about the bla- the bla- <clears throat> the bad blood between Gordon and Boyer, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's not the first time where you have a broadcast team where the broadcast partners at one point were bitter rivals that went after each other. Uh, the NBA on TNT, Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> yeah. Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley, yes. they got into some massive brawls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a very famous uh, massive brawl. And you know what? They they have a great team. And that's a great, enjoyable oh, broadcast for the NBA. Yeah. So maybe this works out for Boyer and Gordon, you know, where they have that... Um, dynamic where maybe they get, have a little fun, they take some jabs they, at each other, like they but did with the it, it could be yeah. good entertainment. Yeah, like the, the thing, the thing with Dale Jr. and Steve Letarte is, you know, like they work together, so it's kind of like buddy buddy. You know, what yeah, I mean? it's kind of it's kind of be like like you and me just like sitting down and like watching a game. You know, yeah, so like right now. Um, you know, and, and even even him and Jeff Burton, the thing is, they sound so much alike. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> I know you're not really a fan of Jeff Burton. <laughs> it's like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> and that's the the one thing too is you know he's very Jeff Burton is very biased talking about Kevin Harvick, Dale Jr. It's like Alex Bowman is the only car out on the racetrack. Drives me nuts. But Boyer, he wrecked. Jimmy Johnson, that was the first big one. <laughs> took out Kurt Busch. Took out Kurt Busch. Took out himself, you know. So, like I said, it's a must win for Clint Boyer this Sunday. It's a must win for Eric Amarola. Kurt Busch was lucky that he won the week before that, you know. But Joey Logano driving people down below the yellow line. <laughs> then the last big one. And then, of course, Denny Hamlin scoring the win, controversial fashion. I know Denny is sort of your pick for this championship. Just the way that, you know, earlier in the year, um, you know, the way he came out and it just seemed like he won race after race after race. Then there was that big break with um, the the pandemic, putting a pause to, well, virtually everything. Yeah. But then when they restarted um, back in May, uh, Denny Hamlin seemed to pick up right where we left off. And outside of a couple outliers... He's been dominant the whole entire year, and you can never count him out of a race, it seems. Never. There, there, I think there's like one or two races where he might have had some car problems that kept him, you know, from really, you know, being um, in the yeah, uh, competition for a race. Was yeah, one of them. yeah, so he's had a couple um, hiccups here and there, but outside of those, he's been uh, dominant in every race and competitive in every race and right there at the top. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, Kevin Harvick, the amazing season that he, he has had, but Kevin, it seems like he always gets swept up, swept up in wrecks at Daytona and Talladega, and sure enough, it happened on Sunday, even after he tried taking care of the car throughout the day. And the frustrating thing, obviously, for Brad Keselowski, like I told you, I said they have to get as many stage points as they can yes. to build a big enough cushion for this Sunday, knowing how unpredictable it's going to be. You know, you run hard, you run up front, you're there with your teammates, you, you lead you lead portions of the day, and the last corner, Tyler Reddick coming down on him like he wasn't even there, and he spins and ends up finishing 18th. You know, that, <laughs> I, 
I handled it better than I thought I would, you know, but Yeah. But I wasn't I wasn't too too tough on Tyler Reddick because I know you're a fan of him already. <laughs> well, he, he the thing with him, I mean, he's a young driver. Um, I think this is his first year up his in rookie Cup, season, rookie yeah. season. So you know he's going to have these rookie mistakes, especially. Um, I think it was Daytona a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. where Kyle uh, Busch. Yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, Ryan Newman. Oh, it? Ryan, Newman. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Newman had some choice words for 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 the young fella, but uh, you know, it, it, I I think he'll learn and grow from that, and I think um, you know he's an ascending driver. Um, obviously, he didn't make uh, you know the playoffs this year, but you know, I I think down the line, Reddick is somebody that. Um, is going to be a playoff contender. Oh, for um, sure. <clears throat> and I th- I honestly feel like he has made Austin Dillon better this year. Think of it. Austin Dillon actually has a chance to move on in the round of eight, and he'd be in a good position to move on in the round of eight if he didn't have a power steering pump fail at Las Vegas. When you look at, like I said, when you look at the fact that he is 21 He's points 21 points back behind Joey Lugano. Lugano. Yeah. yeah. So, if not for that, man, he would easily be in the be in the top eight right now. I mean, all he has to do is be, get some very good stage points. Maybe win a stage. He needs the stage points. If he get, if he yeah. if he wins a stage or, or or two, yeah, um, he he's right there. Exactly. And Chase Elliott, that confused me. First, they penalized him. Then they took the penalty away and they put him back in the top five. <laughs> you know, the the whole yellow line thing. It's like Dale Jr. said it. It's it's a mess. You might as well just get rid rid of the rule already. Yeah. It's not it's not gonna make any difference. You're still gonna wreck cars left and right. But that you know, to penalize him, or I, I was gonna say to take the penalty away from him, to penalize Matt Benedetto, to penalize Chris Busher, it But then Hamlin so, at the end of the race didn't get the penalty. Yeah, exactly. It it just scrap it makes you scratch your head, you know. Justin Haley, two years ago, Xfinity race to Daytona, that was another one. He gets pushed down below the line. They penalize him. They gave the win to Kyle Larson. <laughs> so it's definitely confusing. But, you know, so Denny won. Chase was fifth. And, I mean, really a tough day for most of these playoff guys. Alex Bowman was in five accidents and he finished 14th. Only five? Only five. Only five. It seemed like it was about 10. It was only know? five. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. And I think what annoyed me was when, when the, the last big one happened, and Kyle Busch gets out of his car, and it's destroyed. You know, how, how Dale Jr. immediately was like, oh, this improves Alex's chances of making it to the round of eight. I get that it's, I get that it's the car that you drove. And I have to say, like, Jeff Gordon is kind of the same way with Chase Elliott. I get that it's, it's the car that you drove, but when you're in that booth, be, be a friggin' professional. Be neutral. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing. It, well, like you said it, the, the Sunday night game with, with the Saints and the Packers, when it was halftime and you put the race on, the Las Vegas race. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't watch the entire race, but as soon as I put on the Vegas race uh, to, you know, tune into the last uh, portion of that race, it, it just seems like that's <laughs> all they talked about was Alex Bowman. Yeah. And, and it's like you have 11 other uh, playoff yeah. drivers yeah. that all have implications that are all – equally impacted by a crash or a caution flag or pitch strategy, whatever the case may be. And all they focused on was how it all impacted Alex Bowman. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, here's Kurt Busch trying to win in his home track. Here comes Denny Hamlin, who's dominated all night. And what does Dale Earnhardt Jr. talk about? He's like, oh, why didn't Bowman go to the bottom? 
Um, there were four other guys ahead of him. I think you should be focusing on that a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, but typical typical Talladega. That's all you could say. You know, Truex involved in another wreck there. Kyle Busch, like he likes to say, it's still 2020. Yes. <laughs> you know, but this is going to be one of the craziest races, probably, honestly, probably in NASCAR history when you think of it, because we all know if there's one thing that frustrates race fans, it's rain. But when it comes to a road course, bring it on. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's interesting because you, you brought up rain off mm -hmm. the air to me and how that's going to play an impact. And I'm thinking as a casual NASCAR fan, I'm not, you know, a, a diehard in the sport. But as a casual fan, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If it's raining, why isn't it being? Why isn't it going to be delayed or canceled? Yeah, it depends. It depends on how severe the rain could be. Okay. So, like the thing is, I mean, obviously, if if it's like a little bit of a drizzle or or something like that, they, Goodyear has brought the rain tires, four sets of rain tires for every team out there. Obviously, if it if it's like standing water or it develops into puddles or something like that, then it it gets to the point that they could stop it or postpone it because they said. That they couldn't, they can't run it on Sunday night because I guess there's not enough lighting there supposedly in the infield. So there are so many scenarios because it's um, tropical storm Delta, I Delta, believe. Delta, yep. And I guess it's coming through North Carolina this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Seventy percent chance of rain both days for the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series. So, and that's the thing. Like I told you, there's not many guys in both in both series that have much experience racing in the rain so like you said it will be pure chaos both saturday and sunday yeah and with not a lot of guys having that experience racing in the rain i i'm basically going to go about you know my my selections my picks as, as if rain wasn't even a factor at oh, all nice. because it could play it could be chaos on anybody oh yeah so for the Xfinity race on Saturday, that's 3 o'clock on NBC. Noah Gregson's on the pole. Your boy Justin Haley starting second. Second, yep. For me, you know, I got to go with the guy that made a lot of headlines today that is going to be moving up to the Cup Series in 2022 just based off of this. This is pretty much his bread and butter with the road courses, and especially he won the Daytona road course in the rain. I'm going with Austin Sendrick. Yeah, that's a good choice. Uh, Sindrick definitely um, has success at road courses. Um, I'm going on a whim here and taking Noah Gregson. I like it. Uh, I, he's very good at these courses, and, and really the entire year, he's been a very consistent driver uh, in the Xfinity races. Um, he's always a guy that is usually in contention for a win at the end of the day. And I think it's uh, his turn to get it done this week. He has matured a lot this year compared to last year. And that Daytona road course race, he actually finished third. Yeah, so uh, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. He's right there. And, uh, you know, all it takes is a lucky break here and there, and he can be right out in front, too. And the Indy road course race, he finished third in that one, too. Because I know a lot of people are saying, like, either... Sendrick or Almondinger or Briscoe, like, the, like up there, the usual yeah. three, yeah. you know. But yeah, Gregson is a very, very underrated pick. And like I said, you know, Austin Sendrick, they announced earlier today, Matt Benedetto, he'll be back in the car next year. And then the 21 car becomes his in 2022. And obviously, with Boyer now going to Fox, the 14 has to be Chase Briscoe's next year. Has to be. 
I would think, I mean, Briscoe to me deserves it more than Cindric. Oh, yeah. I mean, For I'm sure. not taking anything away against Cindric, no. but, um, you know, it's, it's very interesting because there were two big announcements in NASCAR this week, Cindric being one of them, mm -hmm. and he has an opportunity to say that he belongs. He's a heavy favorite for this uh, race, so and that's your yeah, pick. Yeah. So he has an opportunity to get a big win at a course where he's supposed to win at to prove that he is ready for the next level. Exactly. And the other big news this week, mm. your boy. Okay, not your boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alex Bowman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, moving from the 88 mm -hmm. to the 48. I like him more in the 48. <laughs> <laughs> Being a Dale Jr. fan yeah. and you not liking Bowman. Sean Rosansky is going to tell you the same thing on Sunday. <laughs> All right. So, but, so we have two big, big uh, items this week. So Cindric, um has a chance to, you know, make a statement that he belongs in Cup by winning the Xfinity race. Yeah. And Alex Bowman, after his big announcement moving to the 48... Um, taking over for a legendary driver in uh, Jimmy Johnson, Johnson uh, he has a chance to make a statement that he belongs in a legendary car and he belongs to have a long-term commitment in that car. I agree. Uh, if he mm -hmm. were to make a statement win on Sunday. Oh, for sure. So we have two guys who both have... Um, big news that happened with them, and they both can make major statements that justify their cases. I agree. It's definitely it's definitely a prove-it race on Sunday for Alex Bowman, and I mean, especially in these kind of conditions as well. Yes. You know, because that's the thing. I mean, when he took over Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s 88 car, me and Sean Rosansky, we were both like, what the hell? We wanted Kyle Larson. We wanted William Byron. So you replace one popular driver now another one and like you said an all-time great and it's only a one-year contract too right so what better way to prove that you should get a, an extension than by getting a big win in uh at the roval yeah and not only that it's the playoffs so you're getting you're gonna you're you have a chance to get a big win at a track where bowman has two consecutive top five finishes in both races in there, both races there. Yeah. so he has the ability to get it done and if he happens to get it done that's a statement win that that should show hendrick motorsports hey i'm your guy long term here and not just to hendrick motorsports but to ally as well i mean they ultimately they were the ones that had to sign off on this yeah so you have that and as far as 88 goes it sounds like it's going to be a few more weeks before that's announced Kyle Larson, it sounds like he's the favorite to you know to take that car. Eric Jones is probably the only other one that I could imagine that that would probably end up getting it, but I don't know. I mean, Larson Larson has a lot of patchwork to do, and I mean he's done it. That essay that he wrote on NASCAR.com it, it seemed very very genuine. So, but Chevrolet dumped him, and Rick Hendrick, as much as he is involved with with Chevrolet, I mean that's that's going to take a lot of. A lot of convincing for, yeah. for them to sign off on that. Yeah, I don't know what's going to end up happening there, but uh, they're definitely they, either way. Big news is about to drop in a couple weeks with who who's yeah, going to sure. be the the fourth driver there at Hendrick. Yeah. So going to get off track here for just a little bit. Thursday night football, a minute twenty three to go. 
Chicago just went ahead 20 to 19. Nick Foles. Nick Foles. But have you heard this before? There's a little over a minute to go, and Tom Brady's getting the football. Yeah, if you're a Bears fan right now, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you can't be feeling all that comfortable with giving a minute to Tom Brady. Well, I'm sure they didn't feel comfortable kicking the field goal just now. <laughs> that, that had to be. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? How ironic talking about this. Not only, mm. you know, Tom Brady, Nick Foles, but also when you think of it, Nick Foles, his last win with Philadelphia, the infamous Chicago Bears Cody Parkey game. The double doink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the, the other thing you talk about. It seems like whenever he is put into the lineup, he finds a way one week and then other weeks. Like, the Colts game last Sunday, it's putrid. Yeah, it's, it's – he's had a very weird career. And, you know, he had that year with Chip Kelly with the Eagles where 27 touchdowns, two interceptions. He had a phenomenal year. Uh, the playoff game against the New Orleans Saints, he leaves the field – um, with the lead, he led a, um, a go-ahead drive in the fourth quarter. Then the defense couldn't hold them. And then... Um, the last second field goal by New Orleans won it. Then Chip <laughs> Kelly decides to outsmart himself and trade him away. <laughs> yeah. And he struggled with the Rams. He struggled with the Chiefs. And then Doug Peterson um, comes to town. Chip Kelly got fired. Doug Peterson comes to town. And... We all know what happened. Uh, Jake talked about it last week. You know, yeah. uh, Nick Foles comes in after Carson Wentz goes down with an injury. And the rest is history. They won the Super Bowl. Yeah, for sure. And then here, Brady drops back. Ooh. Almost picked off Almost there. picked off. That touchdown by Mike Evans, that's the only catch he has so far tonight. <laughs> Wow. It's almost like the, the Chris Godwin stat line a couple of weeks ago. Or no, it was actually Mike Evans. Two catches, two yards, two touchdowns. <laughs> Good enough for fantasy owners yeah. with the two touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. So when you think of it, the two catches, two touchdowns. So that's like 14 points right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> They gotta, they gotta move. That's those little dink and dunk passes. Yeah. That's not gonna get it that's done. That's not a Bruce Arians offense no. at all. No. And I'm sure Bruce... Brady's, Brady's looking like Breeze right here. <laughs> Here's a long throw. Could have been picked off. Almost picked. <clears throat> Gronkowski. <laughs> what is it? Three, four catches on the air so far. Yeah, not many. I mean, they mainly use him as a blocking tight end, but that time, I mean, they got injuries, so they got to use him. And yeah, that, oh, that was within reach. He could have had that one. Yeah, you know, Skip Bayless will be calling him Frankenstein on the show tomorrow. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he actually did that one time. He actually called him Frankenstein. Oh, my God. He said that that was uh, the Miami Miracle. The next day, he called... Fourth that. down... What? Nope. Incomplete. No flag. Wow. The Bears are going to win. The Bears Foles. are going to beat the Bucks. Foles beats Brady again. <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> Unbelievable. 
But yeah, get so the Miami Miracle, the following day, he said that Bill Belichick blew the game on purpose and cost them home field advantage against the Kansas City Chiefs. And he's, he called Rob Gronkowski Frankenstein. Because we all know, you know, according to Skip Bayless, that it is never Tom Brady's fault. Never. I mean, even he talked about the, the Super Bowl against the Eagles. You know, 505 yards, obviously a Super Bowl record. And he claimed that Belichick benching Malcolm Butler, that that was done on purpose. <laughs> you, you know, know that, even as an Eagles fan, that, that was decision was sketchy. mind-boggling yeah. and, and, and whatnot. But I, I certainly don't believe that they threw the Super Bowl. No. Why would you throw a Super Bowl? And I mean, <sighs> they won Bayless. the following year. I mean, that's just Skip Bayless being <laughs> Skip, Skip Bayless. Bayless. <laughs> <laughs> so, so getting back to... NASCAR real quick. The 88 number. Yes. Now, the 88 number, it's a Dale Earnhardt Jr. number. And we all know, really, when you think of Dale Earnhardt Jr., you think of the number 8. His grandfather ran it. His father ran it. He wanted to take it over at Hendrick Motorsports. And Teresa Earnhardt, being the wonderful stepmother that she is, she was asking Rick Hendrick for, I think it was like $55 million, so he could have rights to the 88. Or, or to the 8, excuse me. So they went with 88. But, like I said, it was mainly a number brought there for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Hendrick Motorsports, you have the 24 with Jeff Gordon, the 48 with Jimmy Johnson. When they started in 1984, it was the number 5. And you had the 25. That was a special number as well. Do you think Rick Hendrick, and me personally, I feel like it's time to give up on the 88. You know, when Rick announced Bowman to the 88 and that Chase Elliott was going to take over his dad's number nine, Rick said that he was so torn about having to give up the five number because that was their original number. Should have scrapped the 88 right then and there and kept the five, you know? Yeah. So, honestly, if I were Rick Hendrick, whether it's Kyle Larson, whether it's Eric Jones, whoever is putting that car, I would, I would just bring back the number five. That was the number where it all began. Yeah, if that's, you know, meaningful to yeah. the Hendrick family, um, you know, and, and I mean, you're never going to duplicate what you had. I Well, I don't think you're going to duplicate what you're going to, what you had in the 48. No, never. I mean, really the 24, the 48 and the 88 cars with Gordon Johnson and Dale Jr. respectively, um, you're not going to be able to duplicate what any of them did. No. Um, I mean, they all had their own, uh, you know, special careers there. Um, so, I mean, it would make sense to, you know, I, I don't know if you retire numbers in NASCAR, but you, 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 you don't have to fill the 88 well, again. Well, I wish they would have retired the three, but we all know how I feel about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, 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 they could, that's, that's a number that definitely should have been retired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll probably hear me and Sean go off about that <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you have that. You have the 25. The 25 was special because Rick Hendrick's father, Papa Joe Hendrick, he was listed as the owner of the 25. And after he passed away, Ricky Hendrick, his son, was listed as the owner of the 25. And sure enough, he was listed as the owner of the 25 when he went, sadly, when we lost him. So, But the 25, like I said, it almost kind of has like a curse behind it. I don't know if I'd ever want to bring that back, you know, when you, when you think of it. If I were Rick Hendrick, I would bring back the five, you know, and like I said, establish establish an identity. Establish an identity for, for Kyle Larson, cause like, or whoever it is, because 
as long as it's the 88, everyone's going to refer to that as Dale Jr.'s car. Absolutely. That's why, like I said, I wish that they would have given Bowman like the 5 or the 25 because Tim Richmond, who drove the 25 for Hendrick Motorsports, that's one of Alex's heroes is Tim Richmond. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But Sunday, like I said, Charlotte Motor Speedway, the infield road course, the Bank of America Roval 400, 2 o'clock on NBC. Steve Letarte's going to be in the booth. Jeff Burton, Rick Allen, Dale Earnhardt Jr. might be there. I say might because his wife Amy, she is due any day with their second daughter. They have their daughter Isla. She's two years old. I, I, I don't know what their, their other daughter is going to be named. But like I said, Sunday, rain. Infield road course, Rodney Childers was talking about how he had never, he's never crew chief the race in the rain before. This, it's chaos, man. It's absolute chaos. So on the front row, Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott. Brad Keselowski will start third. Kevin Harvick fourth. Alex Bowman rounding out the top five, like we said. You know, big, big day for him on Sunday. Yes. Austin Dillon, sixth. He'll be the first to tell you road courses are not his cup of tea. So, like you said, Boone, stage points, stage points, stage points. Martin Trex Jr., probably, undoubtedly, one of the best road course drivers out there, starting seventh. Joey Logano, eighth. Kyle Busch, ninth. Big Brother Kurt, tenth. Clint Boyer, eleventh. One of the last races of his career. Eric Amarola, twelfth. And Eric, he'll tell you as well. He is not really the best when it comes to road courses. So two races on the Charlotte Roval. Ryan Blaney, two years ago, after Martin Trex Jr. and Jimmy Johnson wrecked each other. <laughs> that was sort of the, the beginning of the end for Jimmy, I guess you could say. And then Chase Elliott last year. I mean, this is a kid. Eight wins in his career and four of them are road courses. That's pretty impressive. Very, very of his impressive. wins are at road courses, and he's been... Phenomenal at them. Oh, phenomenal at them. You mean you took over for Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon <clears throat> won nine road course races in his career. Nine. You had five at Sonoma, four at Watkins Glen. And Chase Elliott's father, Bill, only one road course win. Riverside, California in 1983. Very first of his career. Just to put this in perspective, Boone, Dale Earnhardt Sr., you want to know how many road course wins he had? How many? One. Really? Sonoma, 1995. Wow. Yeah. He, uh, that, that shocks me. I would have figured a guy like him, the Intimidator, would have won more than yeah. one road course. He, well, he, before he passed away, you know, he talked about how he wanted to improve on road courses. Him and Dale Jr., they ran the 24 Hours of Daytona together. They planned to do that for a long, long time to come. Sadly, that, that ended up being the only time they got to do that. Dale Jr., he'll be the first to tell you road courses were not his favorite. <laughs> He won a bush race at Watkins Glen, but, you know, who remembers bush races? <laughs> yeah. Mm. He finished third at Watkins Glen back in 03, finished third at Sonoma in 2014. So, for me and Sean Rosansky, whenever Dale Jr. would finish third on a road course, that felt like a win. <laughs> Absolutely, especially but, if it's not, you know, your specialty and you no. get a top three finish. So, That's impressive. Yeah, so the like the thing is, Denny Hamlin, he's good on road courses, but both Roval races, he's run into trouble. You know, Chase, he won last year, almost got a top five the inaugural year. Kevin Harvick, Kevin is great on road courses, but it, he, it took a while for him to adapt to this. And 
I'll tell you, as a Brad Keselowski fan, the Charlotte Roval two years ago, you pretty much get nightmares every time this weekend pops around because they show that shot of him leading with a couple laps to go, going down to turn one, and he just goes straight off into the tire bearers, and here comes Kyle Larson and William Byron and everyone just freaking piling right in. You know, so it, it definitely... You definitely get flashbacks if you're a Brad Keselowski fan when it comes to this weekend. I could, I'm still picturing it in my head right now as we speak, honestly. So, you know, he's very, very underrated at road courses. Like I said, Truex, Truex he, you know, he has been great at road courses pretty much right from the beginning of his career. But yeah, Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch, they do not like the Roval. <laughs> and they have to win. Right. So... I don't know. Kyle Busch, like I said, I think his title defense, ultimately, I just think it comes to an end on Sunday. You know, he just, he's not happy. The speed hasn't really been there aside from a few races this year. Like I said, Austin Dillon, I, I just, I don't know. I just feel like it's just going to be a day to forget for him on Sunday. Just how much he struggles on road courses. Almarola, I think he gets eliminated as well. Clint Boyer, I would probably say out of the four that are out right now, he is so good on road courses, and obviously, you know, the the time, the, the end is near. So you might as well go out with a bang, you know, and, and knock one of these guys out and move on to the round of eight. I think he definitely has the best shot of those four, in my opinion. So, like you said, Alex Bowman, Joey Logano being at the very, being at the very cutoff, like, I never envisioned that at the beginning of the year. I had him in my final four at the beginning of the year. And, of course, you know, Alex Bowman, And when this all started, I, I didn't even really think he was even going to make it out of the first round. <laughs> so. Only one point separates Bowman and Logano. Exactly. So if one of those bottom four gets the win and winning you're in, mm -hmm. then... It's going to be a major battle between Bowman and it, it could be it could come down to Bowman and Logano there for that final spot. And like you talked about all of the mistakes that Bowman made at this race last year wrecking in practice with, with 35 seconds to go and ramming into Bubba Wallace at the beginning of the race and how they had their their beef throughout the day mm -hmm. running into Jimmy Johnson and Eric Jones losing out on stage points at the very end of the first stage at that point I was thinking he is done you know yeah but you know credit to Alex even even with a stomach bug I think it was he drove his way back up there and he was still going to miss it and luckily for him Ryan Newman missed the the chicane on the back stretch and got penalized for it so, and then of course Bubba Wallace, how he threw, he threw Powerade in his face after the race was over. <laughs> that clip got played a lot. Oh this year. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it for sure did. So, like I said, there are not not too many guys that really have experience when it comes to racing in the rain, but one of them is in fact Chase Elliott, and like I said, he won this race last year. The Daytona road course back in August that took the place of Watkins Glen, he had an 11-second lead before the last caution. An 11-second lead. And, of course, all of, the, <laughs> all of the Denny Hamlin fans, they were saying, oh, yeah, Kyle Busch crashed just so, just so Denny Hamlin could have a shot there at the end. <laughs> That's what all the Chase Elliott fans were saying. So, Cots, listen, 
I think your Dolphins are going to lose on Sunday, but at least at least Chase Elliott will give you a birthday present there. <laughs> so your prediction is Chase Elliott for the win on Sunday. Correct. And, you know, that's a very, you know, reasonable pick. Chase yeah. is a heavy favorite on Sunday, and we, we talked about his success uh, getting a big win there last year, and just road courses in general are uh, his big thing. Um. I'm going in a completely different direction here. Okay. Uh, I, I mentioned to you off the air that yes. I was going to make a very um, unorthodox pick that was going to shock the heck out of you. All right. Let's hear it. All right. I am picking to win on Sunday. Yeah. I am picking Kyle Bush. <laughs> oh, yes. And, I like it, man. And, and the reason why... Now, all year long, I have... Especially when he races in the lower circuit in Xfinity, I have picked against Kyle Busch all year, yeah. fading Mr. Skittles. <laughs> fading Mr. Mr. Starburst. Starburst. Yeah. Whatever candy he represents. Yeah. Fading Mr. Starburst. Fading Mr. M&M's. Well, I am, I am not maybe. fading M&M's this Sunday. This Sunday, I will be, there, it, I will be, it will be raining M&M's. On Sunday. Um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, uh, look, here's here's the deal with, with Kyle Busch. Um, as you mentioned, it's win or go home situation time yeah. for him. And, I mean, look, Clint Boyer's had success in the past at this track. He's very good, too. But I just think the defending champion, to, to not make it to the round of eight, I think he's going to be, even though he doesn't like it, He's going to, I think, you know, uh, put the pedal to the metal on Sunday and win. Um, there was an interview a couple nights ago with Joe Gibbs. And Joe Gibbs was talking about Kyle Busch and how it's been a very disappointing season. But Joe Gibbs was asked about what do you think about Kyle's chances to make it to the next round? He basically has to win the race to do yeah. it. And Joe Gibbs said, look, if anybody in this cup series is capable of getting a victory with their back against the wall. It's my guy, Kyle Busch. Yeah. That's and, for sure. and the Joe Gibbs spoke with such confidence in that interview that that kind of, you know, led me to believe that, Hey, it's, he's not just talking fluff. He's not just trying to talk his guy up. He believes it. And he believes in his defending champion. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, Kyle Busch can get a, can get a win. Now he's going to have to be aggressive, and you talked about how the aggressive nature at this track can sometimes cause you to wreck, and you can crash and burn early, yeah. and that could very well happen. But I think Kyle Busch is capable of being aggressive in a calculated nature, given how you know he, he won a championship last year. I think he's going to have the. Um, He's going to be aggressive at the right moments and take calculated risks. And I think that could help him on Sunday. And I think he could very well get to the winner's circle on uh, at, at the end of the race. That's, that's awesome. And, you know, it's like I told you this morning, with five races left in the season, the last time that the defending champion was winless with five races left on the season, the late great Dale Earnhardt Sr., and, you know, I will be the first to tell you, and there are a lot of Earnhardt fans that will tell you the same thing. And my Uncle Teddy is one of them. If there is one driver out there right now 
whose driving style resembles Dale Earnhardt's the closest, it's Kyle Busch. And that's the thing, you know, he's he's aggressive. Obviously, we know that he has been pretty pissed off most of this year. You know, it's still 2020. I think those factors alone, that's a great pick, Boone. That really, really is. You know, he knows it's win or go home. And when I look at this format, you know, the, the knockout format ever since it started in 2014, the, the few times when a driver that is on the outside of the cut that they have to win in order to make it to the next round, it's usually champions that do it. Brad Keselowski, Talladega, 2014. Kevin Harvick, just a few weeks later at Phoenix in 2014. That won him the championship. That was the only way that he was going to make it to Miami. And then Kevin did it again the following year at Dover. And, you know, it's like the old saying goes, that's what champions are made of. So that's an awesome, awesome pick for Sunday. And out of the guys in the bottom four, the, obviously the defending champion is one of them. And he's the guy that pops out to me as a guy that is capable of back against the wall, you need a win. It would be Kyle Busch. Oh, for sure. And he does have four wins on road courses, two at Sonoma, two at Watkins Glen, and we have plenty of road courses coming up next year as well. So Six of them. Six of them. And if you're a Chase Elliott fan, <laughs> you're absolutely thrilled. <laughs> could could, could yeah. get a couple of wins easily yeah. out of those, yes. So me and Sean Rosansky at this point, we're thinking, well, it's a good thing Dale Jr. is retired because we would be raising hell about six road courses <laughs> on a schedule. <laughs> For for us, two was enough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, well, buddy, I appreciate you coming on. It's been so much fun. Definitely got to have to have you back on once again. Absolutely. And, this was a blast. Oh, for sure. And Sunday is going to be a blast, oh. too. <laughs> so, Steelers-Eagles, the Roval. You said even even potentially golf if a Titans Bills gets called off. <laughs> yeah, we we could we if, depending on the NFL with, with yeah. we golf could who who would have thought that in the fall we could be tuning into golf for uh, action depending on you know the I mean I think most of the games are fine for this weekend but I mean you know hopefully they contain it to you know the the cases they have and they can. Uh, you know, keep it that way. And I mean, Major League Baseball figured it out. And yeah. if they if they were able to figure it out, I think the NFL can. For sure. So that's going to do it for episode 25 of Jake's Take. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Really, really appreciate Boone coming on. Have a great night. Y'all take it easy. Good night.